Welcome to Backlog Dialogues, the podcast where we dig you out of your backlog before it buries you. I'm John, and joining me as always are the Alpha Noah of Frankfurt to my Yashtola. This time, I like all the characters, so we don't really have to argue about it. This is Jared. I'm Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. We can't make that particular joke yet. That's not until Endwalker. And yet the character's already there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this week we are discussing Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO that is either the one MMO you've ever played and enjoy, which is in my case, or yep. the whipping boy of the Final Fantasy fandom, if you don't like MMOs. <laughs> hmm. I thought that was Eleven. I think people tend to leave Eleven alone, more or less. Eleven, Unless you came from Eleven, if you're a fourteen fan, you kind of you're like, hmm, Eleven fans are weird. <laughs> Oh, well. Eleven is a little bit strange. There's a there's some really cool stuff about it, but there's so much weird stuff about it that is makes it very unapproachable. Eleven is designed from a old school EverQuest style philosophy of MMO game design. Yeah, that's true. Which probably why anything I ever learned about Eleven sounds like that just sounds like fan hatred, like hating the the players. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, old school MMO design. Yeah, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Final Fantasy 14 because we fucking love Final Fantasy 14 and we need to get this out of our system. The podcast Discord has an FF14 quarantine channel. I created it because I knew I would need it. Mm. (laughs) I definitely encourage people to come join us on it. (laughs) So I have been playing Final Fantasy 14 for basically a month since the Realm Reborn launched. I missed the 1.0 and I'm kind of glad I did. We're not going to get too deep into that one. Um, but what's your all history with Final Fantasy 14? I mean, I think you dragged me in to probably somewhere between two to four months later. Yeah, I think I so. remember I had an early struggle. I kind of stopped for a bit and I came back to it. I so I've been playing since I think just before the patches got into full swing for two. Mm-hmm. And like I said I tend to play and then stop and then play again. Sometimes I keep up with the patches. Sometimes I have to rush to catch up before the uh, before the expansion drops. Yeah. For me, I actually did try 1.0. Oh, no. (laughs) How was that? It was actually kind of interesting, but it was I never got too far in it. Honestly, it wasn't that great in terms of the gameplay or the story. It didn't really hook me. You know what I mean? Yeah. As far as the when ARR came out, I did play it and did enjoy it. And since then, I've been kind of playing on and off simply because in order to be continuously playing an MMO, I kind of need to be actively raiding, if you know what I mean. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I just drop off of it. Yeah, I'm not the strongest at continuous play. So once I kind of get through the material I'm most excited about, I'll grind for a bit. And then kind of that's when I drift off until something new happens. Yep. Meanwhile, I play obsessively. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit that. I have not let my subscription lapse since I started playing. So right now we are in between patches 6.3 and 6.4 at the time of recording. And I have done everything I really want to do other than finishing the Lopperit Beast Tribe until uh, 6.4. So this is like one of those few times where I'm just kind of like, I'll log in, do a little bit and log out uh, unless I'm like there for some raid thing. But yeah, I adore this game. (laughs) It's my favorite game ever. And It's very big, so we need to talk about this in two parts. We're going to do the first part as a mid-season break. We've gotten through a good chunk of King Hearts 3, so it's time to just sort of give it a breather and talk about something completely different. Yeah, well, here's the thing, though. Is it all that different from Kingdom Hearts? 
I'm here to make an argument that Final Fantasy XIV and Kingdom Hearts have a lot more in common than you'd think. Honestly, thematically, they are similar if you think about it a little bit. Yeah. So for this episode, we are going to cover A Realm Reborn, Heaven's Word, and Stormblood, which is the base game and the first two expansions. Other than Matt's brief history, none of us know much about Legacy, so... Honestly, I kind of think that 1.0 is interesting in how it failed rather than interesting as a game in and of itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I don't want to go into full details on it, but like the no clip documentary detailing the fall and rise of Final Fantasy 14 is one of the most impressive pieces of video games journalism you can find on YouTube. And I highly recommend it. I said, mm-hmm. and I just like I know like right recently, if you can find any interviews with Yoki Yoshida, he tends to have a lot to say about how crazy that time frame was. Well, so Yoshida wasn't the original director of 14. No, I'm talking about the rebuild, on, sorry. Yeah he, yeah, he was brought on to sort of like salvage the project before he was the lead producer on Dragon Quest X, as I understand. Well, he was planning chief, to be exact. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because salvaging Final Fantasy XIV pretty much put Yoshida on the map. He essentially went entirely from a relatively unknown name in, in Square to being... Uh, trusted by fans and the top brass as one of their most important and prolific directors. And I would even argue that, so if it was not for the revival of Final Fantasy XIV, the Final Fantasy franchise would not exist right now because Final Fantasy XIV would have been a high-profile flop, the worst-rated game in the series. Final Fantasy XV would have come out and not been enough to salvage it, and so it probably would have been done then and there. Especially as the Nova Crystallis project was kind of falling apart around 15. Oh, yeah. So. so salvaging Final Fantasy 14 is equivalent to salvaging Final Fantasy. And frankly, giving life support to Square overall is my understanding. Oh, yeah. I mean, before its most profitable game was Final Fantasy 11, uh, Final Fantasy 14 ended up overtaking that finally recently. Yeah. And there were times you're saying it was practically the only profitable part they had in their like in they would like in their uh, company letters and so forth. Yeah. So. Like it or dislike it all you want, but Final Fantasy XIV is now an institution. It's here to stay. I love it. And I want to talk about it. We're going to be pretty loose with spoilers, so here's the alarm right up front. The game is free up through Heaven's Word. Blah, blah, blah. You've probably heard that name by now, but if not... So you mean the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV? Yes. With an expanded free trial, which you can play through the entirety of A Realm Reborn and the award-winning Heavensward expansion up to level 60 for free with no restrictions on playtime? Yes, that's right. You get to play all the worst stuff first with, for free. And then all the best stuff you have to pay for. Yes, folks, I deny the orthodox belief. Heavensward is the worst expansion. It's also one of the better Final Fantasy stories in general anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alarm! Warning. Spoiler alarm. I think we should actually probably talk about what Final Fantasy means to us, kind oh, of sure. off the cuff, and why we like it. First, before let's get into that first before the spoiler alarm. Unspoiler alarm. Final Fantasy One means a game I bought at a uh, at a flea market and couldn't get to work for after hours and hours trying to get my Nintendo. But that's just kind of where it started. <laughs> what, yeah, that was that was a rough time for the kid. <laughs> when did when did Final Fantasy really click with you though? It was six and four or three and two in that way, because I briefly borrowed three from a friend, got to play it, got to can't remember how far I got. It was basically one night sitting. Then I borrowed two, got stuck at Kignazo or whatever he was called in the it was still when they change his name slightly. Uh, it, I think it was Kainazo that they made him yeah. like K-I-N-A-Z-Z-O is the yeah. what? Yeah, got stuck at that and then came up against parents who are always very re- 
reluctant to buy me video games based on the big deal. Like, if you get this good in grades, we'll consider getting it there. And mm-hmm. finally got a copy of uh, three six. And that was definitely that was the first one I finished and one I was strongest on. And then a, a year or two later, Chrono Trigger completely exploded in my head. But yes. that's just ignoring all the time <laughs> on Game Boy. I played Final Fantasy Legend games, not understanding how they worked. And that was the first time. <laughs> well, Final Fantasy Legend is a totally different thing. Yeah, saga. Saga. <laughs> saga is weird and I do not comprehend it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get it. It's kind of like we really liked how Final Fantasy 2 leveled stuff up, but we did a little better, but with a, with less explanation. I think it's more that they took the director of Final Fantasy 2 and it was just like, OK, we can't let you keep making Final Fantasy games because it'll also kill the franchise. So we're just going to put you in the basement and have you make a new franchise for us, for the people who like this weird shit, for the perverts. <laughs> he says, yes, but I'm going to call the first three of them. I'm going to get you to call in America Final Fantasy. I mean, no, it's that the, the I think it's mostly just that in America, they were like, how do we sell something called Saga? Let's just call it Final Fantasy Legend. It's pretty funny how many things they named Final Fantasy. Like they did that also at Seiken Densetsu, uh, though. I think that was also originally like Seiken Densetsu Final Fantasy Adventure in Japan, too, wasn't it? I think so, because it had some really blatant references. For me, the name Final Fantasy, it means a particular vibe to me with the mm-hmm. with the narrative and the setting. There's a lot of Western fantasy seems to have a particular kind of trope library to it. And Final Fantasy has a library of tropes all of its own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like with the original Star, what happened is when you took about oh, one third D&D, one third proto Star Wars ideas and just kind of one third generic fantasy, you just kind of mushed them together. Well, and then and then made giant robots appear. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy for me, like I started with Final Fantasy for uh, knew it as two back then, of course. Basically, so I had played another RPG beforehand, Secret of Mana. Still love that game. After like playing that with these friends, they were like, hey, you should play this too. And so it got me into Final Fantasy through Final Fantasies 4 and 6. I didn't own any Final Fantasy games, though, until I bought Final Fantasy 7 on a computer because I didn't have a PlayStation at the time. And so Final Fantasy 7 is kind of like what really got me to be a big Final Fantasy fan. Got me to move away from the PlayStation. I have the weirdest self memory about seven before I ever played it. <laughs> I I don't understand why, but as a kid, I had a very hard time understanding the idea of CD-ROM games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I was so used to cartridges. I would see FF seven commercials. They appeared to be a movie, and then I just remember picking up a random strategy guy or something. It's like, is this like one of those FMV things? Like where it's going to be a movie. <laughs> I really remember being that stumped and I can't quite yeah. explain it. I also so. got into Final Fantasy with four and six known as two and three at the time. Those were yeah. those were my jams on the Super NES. Because Final Fantasy seven like was like such a key point for me. I was like, OK, I need to get back into Final Fantasy. And later, I think in the next year, that was when I got a PlayStation. The first game I had on it was Final Fantasy Anthology, which consisted of Final Fantasies five and six. I just remember the load times on that version of the games being the load times awful. are bad. But you know what? Final Fantasy five is my third favorite Final Fantasy game. Now, I sort of like sort the Final Fantasies now into these are the Final Fantasies that are good for newcomers. These are the Final Fantasies for people who have been here for a while. And then there's the Final Fantasies for the perverts. Uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy five is like the best of the Final Fantasies for the perverts. <laughs> but I kind of feel like Final Fantasy has this weird idea of fantasy that mm. that that You're a saying. lot of Western games just don't quite 
well, feel like they, here's they, the thing, they though, like, mix in some sci-fi in in general too. So the influences on fi- the original Final Fantasy were Ultima and Wizardry, correct? I think so. I have not played them. I, at the very least, I know that Ultima uh, had a lot of sci-fi influences as well. Because- Ultima one, two, and three did, and then they got purged. Um, no. I know this from certain reviewers talked about it. All indications Ultima was actually based on the creators' D and D campaigns. Which makes Excellent. it very strange when in Ultima 1 you get into your space shuttle, rocket off the Planet X, and shoot TIE Fighters. Excellent. <laughs> and then Ultima 3, the ultimate demonic spawn of the two villains for the first and second game, is for some reason a supercomputer you're, you're feeding programming cards into. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds like Final Fantasy to me. <laughs> and then from 4 on, it kind of goes completely into much more fantasy. They'll have weird things add, but the, but the overt sci-fi kind of melts out. One thing that's kind of interesting is that I realized that Final Fantasy one actually was the first story about a stable time loop that I had ever encountered. <laughs> you don't realize this one, though, until you beat it. And how many people actually beat it back in the day? Not that many. <laughs> and now they made a video game about it called uh, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, in which you play the villain. <laughs> which is an excellent game, by the way. If you like that kind of thing. That's another like it, that is for the action game perverts. I think I enjoyed what, my time with it, but I ended up like mm. <laughs> I didn't finish it. I really enjoyed enjoyed it most, but I just also love the main character Jack's attitude towards oh, things. It's just amazing. so ridiculous. The, I think my favorite like joke right now on the Final Fantasy Twitter account is like whenever they say what What's your favorite job class? Who's your favorite white mate? Who's your favorite black mate? Who's your favorite dragoon? And then like. They'll show four, three uh, classic Final Fantasy characters and then Jack. <laughs> it's so good. Jack is an amazing character. Probably one of the best protagonists in the franchise. I haven't played that one. Ah, it's fine. I mean, yeah, PS5, there, no, there was a thing before release and I just loved it in context with release too, where they just have have some other character going on this supposed to be earnest rant about uh about something oh, it's serious big, it's and a hopeful. Big, 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 it's a big speech about... Uh, is it the po- is, oh, is it the iPod scene? Yeah, yeah it's the me. iPod scene where, where Jack pulls out his cell phone at the very end and just uh, he just says, bullshit, and then starts playing a fucking song and he leaves. Yep. <laughs> and, then, so, and then, so the best part about that, the song continues through the loading screen to the next scene, and then, so Jack, and then Jack puts, pulls out the uh, thing again, turns it off and they continue the conversation as though that did not just fucking happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's kind of seems like just a very, almost like a weird power play by a guy. I listen when I feel like it. <laughs> so I guess all this is to say Final Fantasy is a world of contrasts. <laughs> <laughs> or as the maidens call it, maze. <laughs> I know I'm stealing from Simpsons and Dan Olson. I'm okay with it. All I want to say, though, is like the producer of Final Fantasy 14 and 16, uh, Naoki Yoshida, basically says that Final Fantasy is the best game that the creators think they can make. And so long as that they achieve that, it is a Final Fantasy. I kind of feel like what gets me about Yoshida's work in general on Final Fantasy 14 mm-hmm. is that at the very end, I feel like Final Fantasy 14 is a love letter to the fans of Final Fantasy. Agreed. And it's so successful at that, that I feel that Yoshida is the guy at Square right now who understands the most about what fans love about Final Fantasy. 
you know what his two favorite Final Fantasies are? I know you said that I believe two was one of them. No. Or three, was it? Three and seven are his two favorite yeah. Final Fantasies. Interesting. So I think and I think that's a pretty interesting range of contrasts. So I mean, three being his favorite says a lot about uh, oh. Crystal Tower oh, um, yeah. and Shadowbringers. Like this seems like just very strong oh. control there. Boy, we've talked a lot. And we haven't gotten to the spoiler section. Sorry about that. <laughs> at least well, at least gave yeah. time for people to clear out. <laughs> I, I kind of ended up ad libbing yeah. that part about what Final Fantasy means to us because I thought uh, it, it would, would be, be an interesting progression. It's good. It's so uh, let's just go right into it. Okay, now back to real spoiler time. Spoiler alarm. Warning. Spoiler alert. Warning. Spoiler alert. A Rome Reborn. The original 2.0 of the game. Basically built at a time when the original game had crashed and burned so badly, they had to completely scrap the source code and even made the plot is that the world was destroyed. Yeah, they literally held a an event in 1.0 where the world was destroyed and they reopened it with a with a realm reborn with the plot that one of the heroes, the NPC heroes from 1.0 had kind of put us all in stasis through the only if you were a legacy disaster only if you're a legacy player if you are not a legacy player uh you are just a random adventurer at the start interesting let's give a little plot synopsis um yeah if you were a player in 1.0 your character got teleported five years in the future if you are not if you are like me and you're a total scrub starting off just on your own you're a random adventurer with no real history or background to speak of you get to pick a class of the base classes. None of them are your typical Final Fantasy things. Uh, they turn into them later. I started as a thaumaturge, so I'm just going to say, give my experiences. I started as a thaumaturge in Ulda. My character, Ashura, has gone through a lot. I love her deeply. She is currently a Reaper, but she was a Black Mage for most of the first two stories, and then she started changing around jobs after that. You go into one of the three starting cities, Ulda, Limsa, Limsa, or uh, Gridania, and you get caught up in local problems pretty quickly. Mostly you kind of wander around fighting small animals until you stumble on one of a few different cults or criminal organizations. Yep. As well as a small glowing rock. I kind of feel like in A Realm Reborn, they went very safe with the MMO plot. Yeah. Overall, but they did one... They, they just made a few kind of interesting decisions that shaped how Final Fantasy XIV would shape up in the future, but they didn't really know what their oh. overarching narrative was going to look like yet. Yoshi P has said openly in interviews that in Realm Reborn, they were all still learning what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The plot of A Realm Reborn is pretty simple. You find a little glowing rock with it. You start seeing a bigger glowing rock. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you see a bunch of falling rocks from the sky a vision of them. And then all of a sudden you can start seeing flashbacks is the best way I've described the echo. And shortly after you're summoned to speak to the bigger glowing rock briefly, they call it the mother crystal for a while. You befriend one of several important NPCs, depending on where you are. Yep. If you start in Gridania, you meet Papalimo and Ida. If you start in Ulda, you meet Thancred. And if you start in Linsa Valinsa, you meet the breakout character, Yastola. The internet's cat waifu. Yes. <laughs> let's she be honest. Marry like, you yeah, but she's the Internet's cat waifu. But let's be honest. She would not be down for anyone who simps for her. <laughs> she's. Well, we already know that little son. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so these characters are the scions of the seventh dawn. We learned that they are the scions of the seventh dawn after we solve yeah. a small problem in the local area that we start in. The, the scions are an interesting group, like from the world's destruction, which we saw at the start of when the great dragon came out. Apparently, there were two organizations or one organization, one girl who thought she knew what she was doing. And after the great sage Louis Saw disappeared, they kind of just formed together and said, we probably should do something. Yeah. Uh, is Louis Saw's circle of knowing, correct? Yeah. Plus whatever Mephilia was doing. Yeah. The Science of the Seventh Dawn are more or less like your they're trying to be a secret society, but they're mostly just kind of like, hey, we're the heroes that try and go outside the system of the cities. They're more or less the committee to save the world. And to be honest, we really don't have any good ideas. Yeah. That, like, when, you, when you join them, they're definitely like they're recruiting people. They're trying to be mysterious. They have an organization, but they really don't seem to have any direction. But they're most interested in getting people who have the Echo, which is a special power with very vague defined abilities of what it can actually do. It manifests differently from different people. Our particular Echo allows us to see the passive people. And also, I think it allows us to understand the words of other things. Yes, we basically know all languages, which is yes. interesting. <laughs> we are able to interpret language from any weird thing. It gives us some um, interesting interactions later on in the game. But while it has these other uses, another reason they desperately want people with the Echo is because people with the Echo can face primals. Yes. So primals are the... Big threat facing Eorzea. One of two. They are essentially the the summon monster plot that yeah. a lot of Final Fantasies have been using. But in yeah. this one, what they are is they are essentially like local gods, usually of like non-human tribes yes. that are summoned with the power of magic and ether through crystals. But they have multiple problems. One, they're giant farking monsters. Yep. Two, they suck the life out of their land because they suicide on the ether. And so they basically there's their existence slowly drains the earth around them. And third, they temper people, which basically means they brainwash them to be completely enthralled by that god. And while this is kind of treated quickly, it's quite horrific. Tempering oh, yeah. is per tempering as far as anyone knows that game is permanence. Mm -hmm. If a person's tempered, they're gone. What's left is a fanatical worshiper of a monster who, given enough time and exposure to mana, will start mutating into a monster themselves anyway. So, yeah, it's in the reading game. Basically, the treatment for tempering is euthanasia. It's also worth noting the reason why the beast tribes are summoning these gods is not exactly uh, just for nefarious reasons. No, they are trying to defend themselves because it's a it's a sliding scale depending on which beast tribe because the three to start with are the Cobals, the Ixal, and um, the uh, Amalja. Amalja. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now the Ixal are highly are are rather aggressive and xenophobic, so they're a little bit more hostile than the others. And the Amalja are more isolationist, but Cobals in particular, uh, they've been pushed out of their land by by colonizers. Yes. Yeah. And basically, there's a really large plot point about. Basically, the the current humans, well, sorry, the, uh, the sp current, call them the sp spoken well, races, the spoken races of Eorzea, uh, having pushed out all of these beast tribes out of their traditional lands in order to create their cities and civilizations. The Cobalt in particular is ugly because they literally are treaty breakers on the Cobalt. Oh, yeah. Like the uh, the original pirates made trees and just completely broke them and threw them out. And there's also the Sahagan, which are in the same boat, too. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's sort of like aggravating the uh, beast tribes is 
And if you've played a Final Fantasy game, you probably knew this was coming. The Empire, the Garlean Empire. They don't use magic. They use magitech. And basically, they were an expansionist force that's about, I want to say, 20 years before Legacy took over one of the five major nations of the continent of Eorzea. Yeah, Garabania. Yeah. And, and then they and then they pissed off a giant dragon, which kind of stalled their invasion. Mm-hmm. And but soon after that, like, during Legacy, one of their one of their generals went mad and tried to drop a moon on Eorzea. The, and I, we have an isolated, broken off force led by a commander they can't get back to Garmald, so basically they're still acting as a slow expansion into the Orzean land, and no one can really stand against them, even as a fraction. Yeah, so the main plot of Aromaborn is we are trying to get the Eorzean alliance back together while also uh, dealing with the primals as they come up. Yeah, because it's only going to get worse. Both the Eorzeans uh, face down the Beast Tribes, and, and the Garleans see primals as an unacceptable threat only to be responded to by wiping out those that can create them. But yes. to them, that includes the spoken races, too. It's kind of interesting to note that our guys, the Eorzean Alliance, are not always portrayed as purely good in oh, general. They are, because oh, no. let, they're be massively clear. flawed. Like, <laughs> yeah. Linso Lominsa is literally a thalatocracy. It is, it is a... Ruled by pirates. <laughs> ruled by pirates. Pirates about, oh, half a generation of legit so far, let's say. To be, to be okay, let, let, me, let me be clear. Let's run them down. Let's run down the, sure. the five nations. Okay, the five nations of Eorzea are Ulda, which is a merchant Capitalist nightmare. Capitalist nightmare. And when I say <laughs> it is the least bad of them, that should tell you something. <laughs> yeah, their their history includes murdering their sister city with war crimes. They're still oh, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. the most straightforward. Yeah. I see Limsa Lominsa as the least bad of them, but I oh, think no. there's a Limsa's debate worse. to be had. Limsa, Limsa Lominsa is first, it's full of uh, erotic role players making everyone else uncomfortable. But oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, as a barely reformed pirate nation, it, it's held by together by Thread, Cotton, and one very powerful woman. Yeah. By, by, so it's so it's barely turning into an outlaw nation at any time. Yeah, yeah. like but you have Gridania, which is the worst. We hate them. Yeah. Gridania <laughs> is your forest elf nation. But the problem is they're basically they're fundamentalists listening to elemental spirits, which have a terrifying uh, control on everything, like how much hunting can be done, how like how much healers are able to use things yeah. like they respond with terrifying behavior if anything pisses them off. It's also very xenophobic. Yeah, I just realized what the hell's with elves in this in this setting. Gee, oh boy, let's talk <laughs> while we're talking about elves. Let's talk about uh, Ishgard. <laughs> I call Gridania, I call Gridania fundamentalist. But that's easy to explain. Ishgard is a oh. uh, murderous theocracy. What if elves were Catholic and also bad? <laughs> yeah. yes. they, they, they are so they are so obsessed with their own war against dragons. They are ignoring the rest of Eorzea. They've shut down their country and lands for anyone else from joining them. And we get there. I said they're in the iron grip of a horrible pope. Yep. We'll get back. We'll get to that in heaven's word. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And finally, Garbania is currently occupied hell by the Garlands. Even before then, they were an aggressive expansionist empire run by a literal mad king. Yeah, I thought uh, Garabania was the name of the region and the nation was Alamigo. Uh, Alamigo is the capital of the Garabania. OK, yeah, I get a little confused with that, too, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so Eorzea, while you're not saying they're all bad, you can see how they're very, very yeah. messed up countries. Yeah, they're it's 
it is a lot of people from a lot of walks of life trying to figure out a way together in this very messed up world. I wonder if that's a point. <laughs> when we're running around fighting elemental spirits and avoiding an angry empire, they're just kind of, while the leaders are sympathetic, no one can really get anything done at the moment. Yep. Yeah, nobody even wants to really get the get the Eorzean Alliance going at all because everybody wants to deal with their own problems. There's a quest chain in the middle of A Realm Reborn that leads up to, to fighting Titan. Um, it gets a lot of heat, <laughs> but I actually really like it. It is the Company of Heroes quest to beat Titan. So I'm one of the defenders of this quest chain. I've been a defender of this quest chain since A Realm Reborn. So it's pretty funny. We're literally just trying to find out the way to get into where the place where the god exists. And we know this yes. company fought them down decades past. Yes. And but they keep sending us on random errands across the world. Well, first, we spend about two hours with an obvious fraud that we can't sniff out till someone scares them. Yep. Like they send us to a swamp where a what did he want us to do? I think they trimmed down this quest a lot and you don't have to do as much in the swamp anymore, unfortunately. Is that what leads to is that what we're like the uh, long stop? Uh, no, the long stop is in the jungle later. Yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, you get sent off to the you get sent off to the desert to hang out with annoying cat people. To the beach to hang out with annoying capitalist midgets. Yeah. Um, and then you get to hang out with an annoying goblin who want who you need to get cheese from their creepy uh, jungle thing that has dragons and shit. I love goblins. They're kind of fun, but their speech patterns can be exhausting, especially if you feel yeah. like they're deliberately wasting your time. In a very pigeon speak with with weird, um, like uh, odd compound fake words for things. I love the way goblins speak. All this is a build up to, hey, you're going to go fight Titan. One, are you ready for it? And two, you should have a good meal before you go because you might die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this. I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's a really cool way to get you to know the world. And just like these characters are like, we've done this before. Can't, we want to make sure that you don't die. <laughs> and to be honest, they beat Titan by doing the Wilson waves and waves of our own men at him until he's down. So, yeah, they yeah. didn't have protection against tempering. So it was a brutal yeah. body heavy fight. <laughs> so after you beat Titan, it's your second primal you defeated. I want to say that the Titan fight is really cool because it kind of cements the reputation of the co really cool uh, primal fight themes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's worth mentioning that like it's the so the fight with Ifrit was the first time this game I was like, oh, hey, they have really cool fight designs, even if Ifrit's a really simple fight at that level. Uh, the fight with Titan is the first time I was like, oh, there's something here that I need to be paying attention to, because back when they first did Titan, you if you got knocked off the edge, you were dead permanently until the uh, respawn. <laughs> and unfortunately, the uh, AOEs were slightly bugged, so you had to be much more careful around them. But it still oh, yeah. taught you to be still taught you to watch what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a really good like fight to just say, hey, are you ready for some real shit? And then real shit gets thrown at you. After you beat that, there is a bit of gameplay in here that really stands out to me as when I found myself thinking Final Fantasy 14 had more going on than just being a simple MMO with Final Fantasy paint. Because basically we've just we've just hit the we just hit the low point twist here. Yeah. Uh, the quest called All Good Things, which if you know the phrase that it's pulling from or the Star Trek episode that it might be referencing. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it so, was it Koji Fox already at this point? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, but it was Koji Fox up until Endwalker. The tra the translator slash localizer. He loves to put references. And so. What it is, is you return to the Waking Sands where the Signs of the Seventh Dawn base is located and you find 
It is deathly quiet and full of dead people. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you get attention and there's a a highly motivated expansionist empire in the area, they're going to come wipe your base out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so they have come in. They have kidnapped a bunch of people that are high profile, such as your leader, Menphilia. Murdered a lot of the secondary NPCs. And basically like you are now a fugitive. Let's be honest. You're a fugitive on the run. You go to a chapel out in eastern Thanalan where you seek sanctuary. And this little shit named Alphano decides he's going to be the one who responds the uh, signs yeah. of the seventh dawn. Yeah. So we had a couple of these these young uh, elf twins. They're shorter than the race normally. We all, we mostly saw them at some early scenes of the different like different countries and their leaders just kind of shitting on everyone. Oh, yeah. They are arrogant as fuck. And uh, the the girl twin, uh, Alice, say even is just like, I don't know what you're trying to do, but I want nothing of it. And she goes and fucks off. on Peace. Her. Yeah. Yeah. So Alphado is not a mean character, but he's a smug kid who clear, who thinks he knows everything. Oh, yeah. Like, of the, I'm clearly well, I got all the best grades at school. And he is the grandson of Louis Saw, the great sage that uh, helped uh, save Eorzea. Is essentially the uh, prodigal son of a uh, powerful guy in Charlian, which is a the. Your typical, your the land of smart people, the land of smart people up in the far north. (laughs) We we're very smart. We keep to ourselves because we think you're you're all dumb. It's it's kind of the tone they give. Yeah, that is their tone. We'll get we'll talk about them a lot more in the next uh, Final Fantasy 14 episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, So uh, he comes in. He's like, I know exactly what to do. We're going to kill Garuda. (laughs) But first we got to. So. I know what we can do to fix everything. Exactly what you were already doing. Well, great. Yeah. Thanks, kid. Yeah, um, we need to. So more specifically, he wants to rebuild the science of the seventh dawn, uh, get back enough strength so that we can rescue the people that were taken. Before we can get to that, though, there is this little quest chain where you have to clean up. And th- this is such a small little gameplay thing that sticks with me. Um, you go to help gather the bodies that have been pulled out of the waking sands. And what I mentioned, like what we, how we know what happened to Waking Sands is we use their echo on a dying sylph, like a tiny creature that we had convinced to join to see the world. Yeah. And we saw her memory before she passed of how they were attacked. And so you, there are eight bodies that you need to gather up. And every time you get, uh, interact with one, a little uh, timer bar fills up. Everything like has a little progress bar whenever you're doing interaction. In yeah. The game. And so every body like takes a different amount of time to fill up the bar based on how heavy that body is. And the Sylph's bar is so short. It like it goes by a flash. Like when I noticed what it was doing, I was just like, whoa. They're doing something interesting with how this game just treats this one little mechanic and already thinking about doing something cool. Yeah. And their goal is just to make sure that you're feeling that's that even with this repetitive task, they want you to feel the differences and maybe sense it. I mean, it's yeah. already a very dark, try to make you feel disturbed task, and they just did that much more to really push it. It's kind of interesting because they're they're essentially putting gameplay elements that you take for granted into th- as a thing in the narrative, more or less. Yeah. yeah, and I and for me, like that's sort of like the quintessential. This is what is a good RPG is when they are able to use mechanics not just for gameplay or for combat, but also for narrative. So basically, to talk about the story going forward, um, Alpha Note's simple plan ends up getting us involved with a crazy inquisition. 
uh, hanging hanging out with different in different zones, having to commandeer an airship after clearing out a dragon taken over uh, military complex. Yep. And then finally, just then finally, we get faced with a giant mecha. <laughs> It's worth mentioning, like, we go on this quest to get Sid's airship back because we... Oh, yeah, we found Sid. He lost his memory, but there's always yeah. a Sid. Yeah, the Sid, the Sid in this one is a uh, Garlean... Uh, what is it? Defector. Called? Engineer. A Garlean defector. Yeah. yeah. He is. He is he is a magitech engineering genius, but he defected from uh, the Empire, but also managed to lose his memory during the Cataclysm. Yeah. Uh, and so we get his airship back. We fly. We defeat Garuda. And then... The Empire reveals what they have been doing behind the scenes. They have unearthed the Ultima weapon. If, if, if you've played Final Fantasy VII in particular, you'll recognize the shape of this Ultima weapon. But weapons are consistent in many of the Final Fantasies. Even if you don't know the uh, configuration, you understand the threat of the uh, terminology. Yeah. Um, Basically, it, this is a massive ether-sucking robot that was created by an ancient empire, apparently to destroy primals. Yep. And, and because this scene... Yeah, this scene, Garuda, Titan, and Ifrit were all present for various reasons. It just kills all three of them and powers up in, in seconds. It kind of seems like they're they they're trying to pull a plot here where they made one of the most iconic Final Fantasy spells into a plot point, more or less. Uh, Not spell, but monster. Yeah, ultimate weapon is a consistent monster. Don't forget. Gotcha. Uh, so and that's actually kind of a thing about what Final Fantasy 14 likes to do is they will base a story around a reference, <laughs> a Final Fantasy reference, and you won't know what they're basing it around until you get to later later in the game. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. At this point, like I said, we're finally getting strong enough that we're able to rescue the others from their from their military lockup. Yep. And we and we engage on a fi- basically a final threat here. We discover that Thancred's been taken over by an evil spirit monster we've been facing. So, okay, actually, let's let's talk on those guys for a little bit because Yay. we haven't talked about the Asians much. Final Fantasy fourteen has a cloak club. Oh yeah, it has its own cloak club. And in fact, when I first uh, saw these guys when I was playing Webhack, I was just like, and no, I should say I was not a Kingdom Hearts fan back when I first played Final Fantasy fourteen. Not the way I am right now. I looked at these guys and I said, who the fuck are these Organization 13 motherfuckers? <laughs> yeah. The funny yeah, so, yeah. thing is, is that when we first meet them here, the Asians are nothing more than just like... Muchless twirling villains. Assholes. Muchless twirling villains. They're just evil guys for yeah. the sake of being yeah. evil. Yeah. These, they're, they're these weird of, guys who appear out of black clouds wearing ornate masks and black cloaks with like uh, accoutrements over them. And they just kind of spout off about how they need to destroy the lights and how you're in their way. Like Organization 13. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then we find out that whatever the else they are, they apparently take over bodies because the one we've seen the most, he suddenly appeared and he and he is Thancred. Yes. Uh, and like, it's not clear at the moment if it's like, was Thancred always this guy or? I will say they argue pretty quickly that it's clearly not. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, I was a bit confused back when I first played, I will admit. But uh, I honestly can't remember what my reactions were. It's weird. I can't remember my reactions to most of ARR. I at least remember, like, I was like, oh, hey, Thancred, that's my guy. Oh, shit. What the hell? How would you do this to me, Thancred? Because, <laughs> I, again, I started in Old Daw, so Thancred was my guy at the start. <laughs> yeah. Now, my tiny mustachioed guy started up in Gridania, so, yes, my character has, for over a decade, been a tiny a, a tiny potato with a luxurious blue mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a Lala myself. 
at this time, the stakes have turned to the 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 Empire's forces have to be stopped because now they have an unacceptable super weapon that not yeah. only is dangerous, it's they we know enough lore that this thing's probably dangerous just to use. But fortunately, thanks to all of our actions over the course of A Realm Reborn, we have managed to restore the Erosian Alliance and are able to engage in Operation Archon to save the world. Or at least say Erosia. <laughs> Which mostly involves going to various dungeons to finish up. Yeah, um, we do. We do a couple dungeons that are essentially imperial fortresses. They've refactored it recently so that Cape Westwind is now a solo duty. I need to actually play it. I have not managed to do that. Yeah, basically, like we we run to one base, kill one of the guys, quirky mil, mini, mini boss squad. Yeah, what is his name again? I forget, like Ritanian or something like that. <laughs> I, <laughs> think, I, I, I think I think I think it's Rigatoni. Rigatoni. <laughs> <laughs> We beat up, we beat up, we beat up, we beat up. He, he is, okay, he's a Rogadin, so he has a weird Celtic name. That's why. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just going to say really stupid names rather than try to mangle the real ones. And I'm happy yes. with that. Yes. Um, but so, yeah, you beat him. And that actually is the first time the Empire gets worried. Up to now, Gaius, the guy in charge, just kind of saw us as a curiosity. But yeah. he didn't expect that their forces would suddenly start being taken apart. Yep. Yeah, we leave the charge on the... Uh, uh, what is it called? Castor Meridium. Castor Meridianum, um, which is at a, this point, we're like, so because they're big. Where is the Praetorium supposed to be above that Westwind? Uh, no, it uh, Praetorium and uh, Castor Meridianum are both in northern Thanalan, which is sort of like very close to Mordona and is on top of a big Ceruleum processing area. In this time, they've created a massive, like, uh, towering fortress protected by a huge force field run from the base. So we have to take out the base first and it's force fields, and then we have to invade and stop the ultimate weapon. It's not yep. a huge uh, plot point because, but just as an interesting note, Ceruleum is kind of basically fantasy oil. Yeah, pretty much. They, ha- I, I feel like that's kind of a missed opportunity for the story to not go deeper into Ceruleum, but mm-hmm. like, what is it? How do you like say it's fantasy oil? Yep. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, these. So you go through the Praetorium, you beat the and fight Gaius, who has a very mean speech. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they have taken out how very glib now, which makes yes. me sad. Which means it's even more glib. <laughs> yeah. I actually really <laughs> like the 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 fight against Gaius on foot. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting final. To be honest, I, I will say I like Meridian and Praetorium, but they have amateur mistakes throughout them as as. Oh yeah. Dungeons. They are. They way were better stuffed now. full. They were stuffed full of plot. Huge cutscenes throughout them, and unfortunately, cutscenes are skippable. And people who have run a dungeon more than once are impatient. So you kind of see where this goes. Well, they have changed it over time. First of all, they made it so that you had to watch the cutscenes in Praetorium, which just made people angrier. <laughs> but now they have split the dungeons up so that the boss fight with the ultimate weapon is its own duty. They've made it so they're four mans rather than eight mans, which makes it a bit easier to get in. Yeah, I mean, Castor Meridian had its own plot that was severely cut down. They just made Castle Miriam a dungeon now, and it's much better. Yeah. <laughs> it's with, so with, much one, better. with one moderate cutscene near the end of it. Yeah. At the end of Castle you fight Livia, who is uh, Gaius's right hand woman. Let's just not say more than that. Towards the end of uh, Praetorium, you fight Nero, who, who wants uh, Sid Senpai to notice him. <laughs> so, yeah, so we've beaten Nero, we've beaten Livia, we, we've beaten Rhombus. Uh, 
Yeah, we we beat Gaius and then we have to beat the ultimate weapon. And after we beat the ultimate weapon, we beat Thancred with Lahabrea in him. Did we, have we managed to say Lahabrea's name up now? The, 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 the uh, Asian that took him over? Nope, we did no, not. We didn't say it. I understand that Lahabrea has now turned into his own duty as well. Yes, uh, it's a solo duty now. Which yeah. is probably be- for the best yeah. because actually, like, we're talking them. like 15, 20 minutes of cutscene had to be cleaned up. Yes. The new end game experience for Final Fantasy 14 is so much better right now. Holy shit, you guys. Um. <laughs> I won't deny a weird bit of uh, nostalgia for the insanity, but it obviously makes There's, sense. The old fi- a Roman Born end game was fucking terrible. And it is very good that they've changed it. <laughs> yeah. So we be up Brea, and then the, the then the uh, the power of our friendship and also random uh, world leaders we got along with makes a huge beam of light that knocks Brea right out of Thancred. Yep. We save the day. Uh, and but it's much clearer now what happens is that when you're fighting the ultimate weapon, Hydaelyn, the mother crystal, the power of the mother crystal draws the primals out of ultimate weapon in order for you to fight them and gives and basically with the last of her strength protects you from a massive blast from it. Yeah, basically the weapons true point, according to Labrea, is Ultima, the ultimate destruction spell that can be powered by. And when it goes off, it destroys everything. And I would say like a half mile radius. So after we beat the story, there's a few things in the patch cycle. There's the Crystal Brave storyline where we learn why 16 year olds shouldn't inform paramilitary groups. Alphano and the gang make an NGO. Yep. <laughs> and immediately <laughs> fucks them over because it's paid off by, by capitalists. Basically, as soon as the capitalist forces figure out what's going on with it, they buy off a few of the more easily bought members of the Crystal Braves. Ones we really should have recruited because they already had bad backstories, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And uh, it turns messy really quick. Yeah. Well, yeah, it basically yeah. Alphano is kind of like, OK, the scions are cool, but we should we should they be can. more active within well, the we, world. They, they, they all, the, all the countries have an army. I want an army. Yep. It's uh, almost that. And it's designed to basically humble this little shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Crystal Braves just have us kicked out of Eorzea. They they take over the organization. Oh, we're, no, we're framed. We're well, framed for well, regicide. Yep. Yeah. In the meantime, there's a few other side stories that we can do. Yeah. Like an ever increasing threat of primals getting stronger and stronger as the Asians continue to mess with them. Uh-huh. Uh, there's the so there's the Finding Hoyle of Bahamut, which is a raid series that currently probably should do with a person unsinking it with you just to get the story, because the story yeah. is extremely important and entirely optional. <laughs> yeah. Basically, we find out what Alpha Nod's sister did when she got sick of his shit. It was. Yeah. It was basically find a giant dragon and ask you to kill it. And we also learned how exactly Louis Swa uh, stopped the crazy dragon that almost destroyed the world five years ago. He turned into Phoenix. <laughs> yes, and, but he doesn't want to turn into Dark Phoenix to eat a star, so we have to get rid of him. God damn it. This is not an <laughs> X-Men podcast. And there's just a sense that things like we're trying to fix things one problem at a time, but something yeah. doesn't seem to be adding up. Other weapons are being found. The cu- the countries are getting are getting more hostile again. Notably, in the lead up to Heaven's Word, we do a version of Shiva. Uh, we get to learn a little bit more about the political state of Ishgard in the lead up to Heaven's Word. We find out about all their heretic problems. Yeah. Basically, lots of people side with the dragons. They do that by either really liking the dragons or occasionally turning into them like you do. By drinking blood. And there's this woman, Iceheart, who believes that she's the reincarnation of a saint named Shiva. Mm-hmm. As they start leading them, the church won't let you fuck dragons, so they're wrong. 
Oh, Christ. I just okay. think of that whole. Can you do your thought, Jared? <laughs> yeah. So, well, and Shiva is well known as apparently the saint of fucking dragons. But anyways. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she like she's like it's a story of her in love with of a great worm dragon. But she, this but Ice Heart has formed a more organized a group among the heretics. And they've recently kind of fucked over Ishgar by by sending a dragon army on it and damaging their defenses. And in the meantime, she's turning into Shiva by using crystals and somehow turning herself into a primal, but surviving it. Uh, and so the last major story of the patch cycle that you need to worry about is the Crystal Tower story. Yeah. Uh, it's required by the main story quest now. <laughs> you have to clear it. Yeah, a giant tower in the middle of the wasteland of Mordana, which is a relic of the same empire that made the Ultima weapon, mm-hmm. is you're trying to find a way into it. And we also meet Nero, who again wants to hate fuck Sid so much that he defects from the Empire just to be around him. Oh, yes. If you can't hate fuck him, he'll drive him fucking crazy. He, he He's OK with either. Yeah. And for some reason, we're actually let him stick around, even though we absolutely shouldn't at this point. I mean, he does do a cool move at the end of the Crystal Tower storyline where he True. saves people. But but why would we trust him up to this point is all I'm saying. Uh, Never trust yeah. an angry twink. The Crystal Tower introduces us to Grahatia, who is a cat boy who we learn also has a cat boy scholar, a cat boy scholar who we learn also has the bloodline of the Empire. And that allows him to open up the tower and also close it for us, preventing us. And he seals himself in it to prevent anyone from getting access to it, which is a problem because the tower was full of of living Alligans, including including like twisted versions, twisted versions of the original Emperor. And a portal into the darkness of the uh, demonic void. Yep. And Amon, the the empire, and Amon, the emperor's advisor as well. Let's be honest, it's full of Final Fantasy three bosses. Yeah, yep. it's a Final Fantasy. Yep. The entire raid series is a Final Fantasy three reference. It's really yeah. cool. Uh, you'll probably see it all the time if you keep running a lot roulette, just because it's the only one people want to get ever to seem to want to do. Now. Yeah. It's fast. That's why. <laughs> uh, so anyway. basically at the so at the end of the Rubberborn patch cycle, we're suddenly like the sympathetic empress of old eyes is apparently poisoned by one of the worst of the capitalists. And we get framed for it. Yep. In a frantic run, the the, the general of Alda also gets his arm cut off and arrested, though. Mm-hmm. She, he does cut the little fucker who caused us all in half. And that's kind of fun. All of Scions basically do the we'll stay behind and hold them back one after another. So we are stripped of all of our friends other than Alphano. So all of our friends. Uh, <laughs> oh, and Tataru. Oh, and Tataru. Tataru is cool. I say Tataru. I... It should be Tataru, whatever. Let's be honest. She's got good heart, but she literally is the secretary of the group. So yeah. and we decide, OK, we can't stay anywhere in the three Eorzean city states. Luckily, we made a friend with a uh, Ishgardian lord who we actually saved from a corrupt heretic trying to be Inquisition. In the lead up to this, or does this happen afterwards? Do did we meet Midgard Zormer and get? Oh yeah, uh, that yeah, was oh right, right, right. Yeah, we, we also we also met the not as dead as we thought King of Dragons who decided to hang out with us as a tiny little baby. But also as part of hanging out with us, he strips us of our protection from Hydaelyn, which doesn't really do anything in gameplay wise. Doesn't do anything gameplay wise, no. But it does. It's like thematically, it's like you need to do all the stuff that you did in a Realm Reborn again. And we're and so we're gonna start getting into the things that I don't like about Heaven's Word. But <laughs> that was so much longer than the Realm Reborn than I thought. Oh boy, yeah, I know. Let's keep going. Heaven's Word's plot is a little bit more direct. I mean, Realm Reborn yeah. is going in all sorts of directions. This one's a little more focused. Yeah, they they know what they want to do. Yeah, I will say Heaven's Word's story, they got a little more confident, if nothing else. Oh, yeah. 
Evan's word starts off with you taking refuge in the city-state of Ishgard. You make friends with the with Lord Edmond de Fortin. We get taken in by Hoshafont. Who is actually an illegitimate son of Edmond de Fortin, but he's still like he gives he basically he doesn't ostracize him. He he still keeps him in like a position of power and importance. It's just he's not an official heir. Yeah, he's not an official heir, but Edmund still loves Harshafont like a son. He loves him equal to his two to his two, let's say, official sons. And neither of them seem to have huge yeah. problems with Harshafont. The one of them's kind of a little brat wrapped yeah. up in his own world, but our time starts off with just like helping out the two sons deal with things. We deal with some heretics out in the western Corthus Highlands, and we deal with some weird beast stuff in the Sea of Clouds. Yeah. Our friends almost immediately get put on trial, so we're forced to fight the one of the um one of the Heaven's Word knights. Yes. Uh, I forget which one we fight, but he's a big guy with an axe. Yeah. Basically, this land is fucked up. Not only is it theocracy, it's stratified into nobles and commoners. It's obsessed with its war footing of the dragon. And they have the worst uh, system of trials known to man, trial by combat. (laughs) Also, they are extremely French and extremely Catholic. (laughs) I like extremely French. I don't see why being extremely French matters. Yeah. All the elves are extremely is it extremely Catholic is concerning, but yeah, well, I was just, French French doesn't just matter. I do find it funny that they decided, OK, so the trope about elves is that they're haughty and they're extreme and they're extremely, uh, you, you know, they think they're better than you all the time. <laughs> and uh, but we don't want to do the, the regular elf thing in Final Fantasy. So what can we do to translate it over? What do we do? Oh, I know. We'll make them French. At on board is treating the French as an acceptable target. <laughs> <laughs> so we basically we meet the Pope, who's kind of a prick. And we're called back to Eurasia to bail Rauban out of jail before he gets executed. Yeah. By the way, it's a, by the way, it's kind of funny that no one in is Eurasia except for the Crystal Braves were treating us like we were criminals because no one bought it. But we still so we still run away, partly because the game's not going to wall you off from content. But it's kind of funny. And this is the first time that uh, Heaven's Word sort of undoes these stakes from the end of A Realm Reborn by just letting you go go back in, rescue Raban, and everything starts to be okay as things. We find out the Sultana was actually alive. Like the like the the bigger capitalist, but not as big an asshole as the asshole capitalist. And yes, I'm I'm enjoying describing them like this. He's like, you know, it'd be bad for business if the entire country imploded. So he intercepted the plan and just kind of made things a little cleaner. So he, he gets away scot-free. Keep in mind, the reason why he gets away scot-free, not only that, though, he prevents uh, Uldah from becoming a full-on republic because that was what the Sultana wanted to do. Yeah. She wanted to abdicate the throne. <laughs> it's not, is it? Yeah, but he still was stopping a file assassination by True. others who also were prevented. So uh, C, C minus. C minus. Uh, he, he, he doesn't get chopped in half, and I think that's his reward. Yeah, Heaven's Word does a lot of work to undo these stakes left over from A Realm Reborn, and that's one of the reasons why I've kind of, like, soured on it. The end of Realms Reborn, it was very dramatic. I actually found myself role-playing my character where, like, I literally changed his hair to be a darker shade of blue because he was sad. The parts of Heaven's Word that are good are the ones that are at the end when we're talking about the the resolution of the Dragon Song War. It's uh, not just that, though. The uh, so Everything to do with the dragons. Yeah, everything to do with the dragons in Heaven's Word is fucking amazing. And nothing to do with the Mughals. So we get back to Ishgard and we decide, okay, how can we stop this war that's going on? Because that would be a good thing to do. We decide 
Well, to become heretics. No, no, no that's not it. <laughs> Alphano decides we're going to talk to the heretics. He makes the most ridiculous party for that. Like we find a former rival character, Estinian, the, is the, uh, the Dragoon. Estinian Wormblood, as yeah. he holds himself then. As the holder of the dragon eye, like a artifact results the uh, eye of the eye of Nidhogg. Eye of Nidhogg. Nidhogg being the great one of the seven great dragons and the leader of the war against Ishgard. His eye is passed down among the best dragoons as a weapon. But Estinian went a little vengeance crazy and we had to fix him by hitting him. So and then also we, we recruit Isail Iceheart, the Shiva we mentioned. Yep. Uh, and so we get this little adventuring party of us, the Warrior of Light, Alphano, a little shit who's finally learning how to not be a little shit and actually learn how to be a good leader. He's kind of dumb, earnest, leaning guy getting towards good boy status, but not quite there. He's an idealistic kid who thinks he, he can. He screws up a bit too much for me to call him a good boy yet. Yeah, he he learns to temper his idealism with actual pr- effort. <laughs> but he doesn't learn to swim. No, he does not learn to swim. And and Estinian is sail. We go on this long journey. We fight some primals. Yep. Uh, we, go um, through, we go through the Dravinian forelands all the way to the Churning Mist. We get a conference with Reisvilger, another of the Great Worms, and he is not thrilled to see us at all. <laughs> His history is that he was he was the one who Shiva loved. Yeah. And he, even though you know, Iceheart says, I'm Shiva born. He says, no, you're fucking not. He kind of uh, is like, yeah, I don't like this war that my brother is fighting against. That, humans, but no, I don't no, really know. He, no, 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 that. That, he is on- hates. Yeah. That we find that the war started because of the humans a thousand years yeah, ago, the Ishgardians, they killed right. Radikosker. Yeah. I don't know if I said it right. One of yeah, the sister said, of Nidhogg and his and his vulgar yeah. and stole her eyes. The dragon eyes are power. Yeah. His vulgar is as mad as Nidhogg, but he joined with Shiva's soul by eating her. OK, so and, yeah. and because of that, she keeps him at bay, like his promise to her and like the memory yeah. of her spirit. He chooses so, to sit. But but he's uh, also not going to help us. He's missing an eye because Nidhogg's eyes were also stolen. Mm-hmm. But Needhog guilted him to helping. So he gave Needhog one of his eyes, which is the, one of the reasons the war has continued to last for the last thousand years. Yep. Yeah. The dragons, they could have ended this war any time because we've seen the dragon forces and Ishgar can't stop them. But Needhog wants them to suffer. Yes. All the humans of Ishgard have a bit of the dragon's eye power in them. So any can turn into a heretic by drinking blood. So and, beca- yeah. and between that and constant attacks, they said his rage has not abated for a millennium. Correct. And so Estinian decides, well, that didn't work. I'm going to go fucking kill Nidhogg right now. <laughs> I mean, it's implied the Great Worms control the Hordes, so it kind you kind of see why like it yeah. might have to happen. And it's we're kind of running out of options. The Mughals yes. are just asking us to, to find shit for them, so they're not helping. Yep. Is the Ishgard is so broken, we clear we can't make any decisions in it, and things are getting yep. worse inside there. So we go, we kill Nidhogg at the halfway point of the story. It's pretty notable that it's like, huh, what's the rest of this game going to be? <laughs> because he only had one eye and because we were using a, a, like um, his own eye against him and also his eye wasn't his own. All that actually got him pretty weakened and we could t- we took him down yeah. and Asinia took the other eye. Yep. So we ended up giving it back to Race Falgo and we realized it was his. Uh, oh, and so, sorry. I have one more thing. Estinia gets covered in, in the hog's blood, so his armor changes color. Yeah, he's he just keeps wearing it. Yeah, he just <laughs> keeps wearing. There's a line or two where he implies it's not coming out, but it's just it's so that's funny. got a smell. Um, 
So we return to Ishgard and we learn that the church is bad. <laughs> yeah, because the church knew perfectly well what they did. In fact, the church has been using this war to drum up their own faith and build power in that own way so they can summon their own primal. <laughs> yeah, it's a little unclear if that's a recent plan because we do see La Habrea giving the Pope ideas. Yeah. Yeah. But, Basically, uh, the idea is that is that the Pope is going to, just like uh, Isail Iceheart had done, is going to basically assume the mantle of the legendary king that was the guy who was behind betraying the dragons a thousand years ago. Yep. And they have Needhog's other eye to do it with as a a source of of power. So we're immediately thrust against fighting against the leadership of Ishgard and as we try to break through the church's vault. Yep. And at the end of that, as we're, so we're trying to break through the we're trying to get into the church to save Amaric, our nice general friend, yeah. who is the illegitimate son of the pope anyways. And we see that like, this heaven's ward, they're they're taking out inhuman forms growing when they face us. Yep. Kind of like primals. I know now. Yeah. <laughs> and they also look kind of familiar if you've been playing it, if you've played a lot of Final Fantasy. <laughs> as in, after we're chased off, suddenly one of them, like as they're as they're escaping, we get we get a cheap shot. One of them fires like a lightning lance. I would describe it at us. Yeah. And Harshafant tanks it for us and dies. Goes right through his shield and blasts through him. Yep. Harshafant becomes the martyr for the game. He leaves you with the one of the best lines in the series. Don't cry. I smile. Better suits a hero. It's the, the, the warrior light is a bit of a blank slate for you to write on in your head with your character. But this is a scar that stays. This is implied to be like one of the formative like the key moments in the Warrior of Light's career and life. Yeah. And, and like, you have, mul- you have multiple opportunities to call back to it in various points, too. You can, you can use that line on other people as well. <laughs> America, we had gotten something to access a dangerous floating island from the Algon Empire, because, of course, it's the Algons. No, no, no. The key was basically lost in the Sea of Clouds and eaten by Bismarck. A giant whale. Yeah. Whale primal. And so then so we go whale fishing. We go whale fishing. Uh, we get the key back. And just as soon as we get it, the Pope shows up and steals it and goes off to fly to the floating continent of Oz's Law. Because now we've gone Final Fantasy VI. Yep. So we need to work our way to get there. We find Yashtola in the uh, etheric sea. Save her. <laughs> but now Yashtola is blind. Well, she can see by u- using etherics. There is a mistranslated line that's sort of like been used as a, oh, they listed this, but... Uh, they were saying it takes off her life force to see see that way, but it's more just like it takes a lot out of her. Yeah, so she shouldn't overdo it. Like her 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 teacher, who is the witch from Final Fantasy One, says something like that. But it just seems to be that it's exhausting rather than like it's literally taking her life. Anyway, we learn how to make a uh, ram so that we can break through the barrier of Azazlaw on our own. But then we get attacked by the Empire, so Isel sacrifices herself. I think the story gets a little bit less focused at the end as more and more pieces start getting onto the board. But yeah, the payoff is great. The the Pope went to Azizlaw because it's I guess it's because like it's a powerful place or like there was yeah. a, there was like well, no, they, technology it, needed. So specifically in Azizlaw, I believe that is where they they needed to be there to use the theochemical research facility to power up the sword Ascalon, which, ha- which has the other eye of Nidhogg embedded in it. Laha Brea and another Asian get out of the way. They they fusion dance into a big monster to fight us. And then the Pope fucks over Laha Brea. It's kind of great. Yeah, we kill Igion with a blade of light. The Laha Brea gets stuffed into Ascalon with a uh, the, the Ion Ascalon. Basically is consumed. 
there's actually a subplot there where we permanently kill Igiorum, which is supposed to be impossible because the well, it's no, the it's second not, time we, we met. We, um, we've don't, we've don't, we don't we know how to kill uh, Askins yeah. at this point. Well, it's only the second um, time we managed to, and it takes something very special. Thoradin with the now he's added the power of an Asian. And he used that power to become King Thoradin King and his Knights Twelve, better known as Knights of the Round. Yep. The, I think it's really cool that they decided to make the expansion about the summon Knights yeah. of the Round. By the way, John, I was much later than John playing this one, and he's trying to hint at me about so I see if I can figure it out. I didn't have the heart to tell him I'd actually run across that Knights of the Round was the final boss long ago. Oh. It, like that was smallly <laughs> spoiled. I only ever said that to you. He never did. So I just, like I said, I, I sort of got near the end what you're getting after. It's like, I just don't think I can participate in this. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Knights of the Round is a pretty cool fight. Like they, it's basically King Thornton with the Knights being like um, mechanics that pop out. Most of them don't have health bars. They appear civic parts as attacks. But yeah, then they hit you with ultimate ends. Yep. It's the first time where it's made where I was like, oh, man, this is a Final Fantasy ass Final Fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's like, but we who have regained the the, 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 the power of light and scared both Big Garsomer and La Habrea with it. Mm-hmm. We 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 actually throw we throw him down just straight up in a straight oh, fight because yeah. he turned into a primal in front of the most experienced primal killer in the land. So after you beat him, he just stares at you and he's just like, who the fuck are you? Because yeah, they show like you him. with your like backlit with your face covered in darkness and he's terrified and then he dies. So let's talk a little bit about the gameplay of this patch before we go on. So like, I I am on record as saying I think this is the worst expansion only because of all the stuff that's come after that's improved the game in significantly better ways. Some of the things about it that stick out to me as like still in the game that are not great. The zone design. (laughs) The Heavensward zones are really hard to navigate. Heavensward was the first zone was the first the original patch didn't have flying mounts Heavensward added so the so the zone's more three dimensional but the maps can't handle it and there's a lot of really awkward navigation well and also they haven't learned yet that you need aetherites spread out across the map the zones are huge too in in realm reborn there were several tiny zones like each land had several tiny zones and those kind of would add up to something close to one or two of the Heavensward's maps yeah. But then in the heavens where they started just making those big single zones with just one or two aetherites in them. Like and it like some of the worst have no like either they have aetherites only on one side of the map and you have to fly to the ass under end of the map to do anything. Yeah. And you don't get to fly till late in any of them because you have to gather aether currents. Yeah. The worst one of all, though, is the hinterlands, which despite the fact that there's no aetherites is my favorite map in that area, just because I'm a Charlian freak. I love Charlian yeah. and always yeah. Hinterlands where we find that Charlian, they'll they'll make a colony. But the second things look bad, they just immediately all just noped out, yep. completely left the continent. So thanks, guys. The hinterlands are basically a life after people of an old char- of a Charlian city. It's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah, it, the goblins took it over. There's a big robot in the middle of a lake. I wonder what that's up. <laughs> well, is the robot there? Yeah, I can't remember if it is. Yeah. It's always there. I thought it was just I thought it was, oh, no, it was just like a it was like there was literally just a shield over the lake. there's a shield there's a shield and there's a weird shrine in the middle that you don't but then like at the end of the story the uh a big robot arm pops yeah. up and it, it's the, and it's the primal Alexander yep <laughs> the goblins summoned it because they found it in a book but so basically the, the zones they look very nice but they're really awkward I hate the churning mist because not only is it really hard to uh move through they stuffed it full of annoying Moogle quests where they're just blatantly waste your time it's not even useful like the company heroes the dravanian forelands is probably the one good map in that like it has two aetherites that are both like in very good locations and it's not broken up land like the others yeah forelands is good i like the forelands 
Also, I know there are people out there that'll uh, flame me for this, but the Heavensward job design was the worst in the entire game so far. I hated everything that they did. I always, I always be going up bars. Why am I a caster? Yeah. They, also, they, the Alexander raids kind of almost killed oh, the raiding scene in Final Fantasy XIV oh, yeah. because Pepsi Man was so overtuned. Yep. They made the set so tough that literally you had to have the rewards from it to actually get through the DPS checks. So, whoops. Honestly, they didn't have a truly good raid cycle until the third tier of Alexander, I would say. And Alexander's a, a kind of a fun story about a group of crazy ass goblins taking over a giant robot primal with 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 yeah. forbidden knowledge. And then there's a weird time loop. One of the fights is a combining robot. It fucking rules. <laughs> Which is full on hero musical. Like it's like, like the, the goblins little acid metal uh, chant song turns into a full like a uh, Sentai hero song. Yeah, it's the all, all the music in Alexander is really cool, though. The ro- the robots in particular are also, I believe, a reference to Transformers. The, there's like a Decepticon thing, I think they're called that turn into Bruticus. Mm, uh, Constructicons? I think that's what I'm not great with Transformers. There's a lot of small robots, like larger robots and Transformers. All I know is Brute Justice is funny. I love Brute Justice. Yeah. <laughs> so and now it kind of all turns out the whole thing is Alexander itself testing us slightly, but also completing a time loop to just remove itself. Yeah. Alexander is like, I have seen all possibilities. I should not exist here. <laughs> I'm going to get the warrior of light to make yeah. me not exist. Yeah. <laughs> that's. <laughs> And we find and we find that the goblin leader actually is Dr. Doom with his mass fused to his face. But anyways, I think we have to talk about the warrior of dark warriors of darkness. Oh, we get to continue the dragon song war, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the at the we, we didn't mention after we defeated um, Thoradin, the extra I was sitting there. As CD goes up, picks up both eyes, says, well, I'm glad everything's over. And then gets promptly, promptly possessed by Nidhogg's vengeful ghost. Yep. Nidhogg now has two eyes and uh, one dragoon to be his body. Yeah. And he can, he can take his form. It's unclear like, if he's technically as powerful, but he's out there and he's strong enough to be a threat to everyone. And yep. just as happy to keep his war. Even so his father, off. Midgar Somer, is freaked out. He flies off to muster up the forces again for the final act of the Dragonsong War. In the meantime... We're left to try and reconstruct the scions even yeah. more. And and also try to uh, fix a thousand year racist uh, xenophobic city yep. that just has power structure knocked out from under us. So that's fun. Yep. yep. Yeah. Basically, it, uh, Lord uh, Americ becomes the new leader of the city and it becomes under, a bit under protest that we should say he does not want yes. to be leader and he's kind of forced into does it. he? Yeah. He gets forced that he then he like he resigns. They hold an election. And once everything's better, and everyone loves him. Once things stabilize, he resigns and they elect him. Yep. yep. He's, he's essentially the George Washington of the elf Catholics. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> wants to he wants to go off and obsess about Asinium because there's something clearly there. But anyways, yep. or, or <laughs> about the warrior. He, he's he's flexible. <laughs> the city kind of becomes less of a theocracy afterwards well it's a fight like we get we forcibly separate chores from state is the yep. thing and you get zealots that try to like take over try to murder children and dragons it kind of mess there and then and then dragostinian almost fucks up for everyone too yep mm. uh but in the meantime also so there's one asian we did not talk about that we should which is Elidibus. Elidibus is introduced to us in patch 2.1 as the arbiter the one who's supposed to be like the peacekeeper of it. He's the trendsetter. He walks around in white. He's introduced to us in the most sus way possible, but he's just like, no, you can trust me. I'm a nice guy. I believe in balance. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I've seen this before. I've, I've talked to Xehanort. You don't, your balance is not good. <laughs> not to mention everyone starts shit talking La Brea again because he just fucked up so bad. Even oh, yeah. the Arasians <laughs> don't like him. 
Like we get occasional dark council scenes and now they're just like he got himself killed. What a fuck wit. So but what Elidibus decides is, OK, the warrior of light has gotten too powerful and things are starting to tip too much into the light. I'm up on the moon. <laughs> I need to get some Warriors of Darkness to counterbalance the Warrior of Light. With that, he, he gets some. It looks like the uh, promo party that have appeared in several like like um, yeah. trailers and even the original End of the World. We've got a warrior with an axe. We got we got a huge paladin. A Rogan and Paladin. We got a Lollifel White Mage. We got a Elizan Black Mage. And we've got a Makote Bard. Ranger. Oh, Bard, yes. Yeah. Uh, though their classes are slightly different, but whatever. But so basically they just start killing primals like like some primals yeah. appear and they kill them before we get there. They're starting to beat us to the punch in a lot of places. And we find out they're working with our good friend guy who never talks to us. Yep. Urianje. Oh, yeah. We Uriange. haven't even mentioned So Urianje is introduced in the uh, A Realm of Born as just sort of like a guy who waxes poetically and, and hides in the shadows under a mask. He's a tall Ellison who talks, who talks like he's the, like, a, like a Hollywood smart guy in too much complex language, wears a great big etheric mask covering his face. Yep. And he wears a burlap sack. Yep. <laughs> I will say that he also appeared in, uh, in uh, 1.0 yeah. as the oh. guy who predicts the end of the world. Okay. He, he's just, he's just very, look, I'm just going to stay here with my books. You do whatever. Yep. So, but he's apparently working with the Warriors of Darkness, who eventually, after kind of mocking us, then spring a trap on us. We learned that the Warriors of Darkness came from another world, specifically a reflection of our world called the First. There are the world exists as of the Source and the Thirteen Reflections. So we're part of the Fourteenth World, the Fourteenth Fantasy World, if you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> so, they 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 kind of come out and explain to us. That they were the warriors of light in their world, but and they did they thought they were doing everything right. They they get really upset. They defeated they, darkness, they destroyed yeah. darkness, and they, they they kind of like we we won. And when darkness was gone, the world tipped in the balance and light consumed everything. Yep. And so their world is about to be just destroyed by a massive flood of light, and they are trying anything they can to stop it. And the Asians have conveniently told them, hey, fuck shit up in the source. And you will save your world. That's a lie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but to travel worlds, to use the Asians' goal, they must leave their body. In other yeah. words, they yeah. killed themselves to come here. They killed themselves to come here to try and save the world, and that is still like a fucking lie. But Benfilia, who has conveniently become the word of the Mother Crystal. Yeah. She has, she has she, we haven't known at all where she is, but finally she suddenly appears and now she's just a, she's, she's floating, she's, she's floating seer girl or something. She's more of the concept of Minfilia rather than Minfilia yeah. herself now. <laughs> yeah. Original Minfilia, do not steal. Oh, gosh. She's like, OK, I'm going to take them and go stop this flood of light. And she talks us a little bit about what's going on. Like, Hydaelyn is actually quite weakened recently. So she doesn't, yeah. doesn't have much strength. We actually gave her a, like, Urianje actually managed to make this whole thing, give her a, a, a temporary power up. And that's why she took Minfilia as well. She needed her. She takes the warriors with them. And the warriors leave us like... You should be aware of your world as well. The story of Heaven's Word ends with the buildup of the Alamegan resistance. Another character we kind of skipped was Elbird. Do we care about Elbird? A little bit. He was the leader of the Crystal Braves after they betrayed us. In the middle of all this, we uh, beat up Nidhogg and saved Asinian. And then yeah. we just chucked the eye. Then we chucked Nidhogg's eyes off a bridge. Yep. <laughs> Not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because we see it. We see Elidibus grab him. Eyes and Nidhogg end up in the possession of the Alamegan resistance. 
the griffin. Who is obviously Ilbert in a mask. If you play the monk quest, I think it's like actually Ilbert is still the guy like a replacement for the griffin and the real griffin is someone else. But I know this guy says he is. It kind of felt like he was bullshitting, too, but I don't know for sure. I kind of the monk quest kind of fuzzed me out. It's fine. So Ilbert, who was the guy who helped who helped with the whole Sultana assassination thing, ended up being driven off into hiding because he was a zealot for bringing back his country. Mm-hmm. And Raubon, who was working other countries, he's like, you're not you're not trying hard enough. I'm mad at you. He basically just like he does a false flag to commit a few yeah. war crimes and start the war again between the Empire and the Eorzean Alliance at the border of Alamigo. Because yeah, even though we took out Gaius and his forces, the Empire is still in Eorzea. They still occupy Alamigo and its country. And so there are bases. And they basically, he and his group, dress up as as all the other countries' armies, a war crime, and just attack <laughs> the base and slaughter everyone, I think is also possibly one. And then he decides he hasn't done things fucked up enough. How how many articles of the Geneva Convention can we violate in this one quest chain? <laughs> well, we didn't do that many. Is somebody a private of Geneva Convention violation? I would argue the way it targets civilians, probably. It also, oh, and it, it would compel people to fight against their nation because of tempering, which is, again, a war crime. I'm not good enough to know all of them, but quite a few. So basically, he gives up his life and the life of all his men and the eyes of Needhog to summon a super primal, like described on the scale of Bahamut itself. So we need to talk a little bit about Papalimo. And so... Uh, for the start of this little Alamegan resistance storyline, Papalimo is our narrator. Yeah, he and Ida returned. Yep. He gives us the line of where men go as one, there is life. And when there is life, there is cause to hope. My personal argument right now, and I'm going to try and defend this over the rest of our discussions of this game, is that uh-huh. that is the vision statement for the rest of Final Fantasy XIV from then on. It's I agree with that. It's not a bad argument. Uh, yeah, so Papalimo, he's kind of always seen like Ida's minder because she's kind of a flighty, punchy girl. Yep. Look, I, even that one's a reference. Like, he's just a serious wizard. Well, not only that, like, he was the star pupil of Louis Swa. Obviously, he, like, all of them were important students to him, but he was practically his apprentice, like, following his yeah. path. Yeah. He even, like, takes his, even, like, takes his staff. And so he takes the, the remains of Louis Saw's staff and decides he's going to do the exact same trick Louis Saw pulled. Put a dragon in a great big rune egg. Yep. But that egg is not going to last and we have to do something to stop it. <laughs> and that action is fatal. Oh, yeah. In knowingly, unquestionably, it was fatal. Like, so he sacrificed himself. And that is so basically he, be, he buys us one more patch. In that last patch, Nero tells us, hey, so there's this thing beneath the battleground where the final battle of where all the PvP fights happen. Where all the PvP fights happen. Cartano, which is where the meteor fell. There's a thing underneath it called Omega that if you turn it on, it will destroy that thing for you. I guarantee it. Omega is the Alga's ultimate creation. And Dio's like, look, I'm not horny for this, but just do it. <laughs> <laughs> then we have to fight like a hate. big, dumb idiot. I, we, we, I, I got to call this guy the Empire's uh, reject reject commander. He's so funny. I What's like his him fucking a lot. name again? Grinawatt. Oh, yeah. Gr- I grind what I, I, I think it is. Uh, grind, OK, grind, grinder weights. OK, <laughs> damn it. Poor Roganen. Jared on board of being racist against Roganen. <laughs> no. no, my view is I'm going to get their names wrong. I feel bad. So I'm going to use stupid things to call, to call people who I think are stub characters by their things. And I think that's just me just avoiding being anyway. awkward. Grindwad is basically dumb chibi Xenos. He is horny for violence and wow. obsessed with the warrior of light. 
he's a big dumb bully thug who thinks their things are great if he's going to be able to like have easy wins and get, make himself important and have glory. Yeah. He's not but, quite fight obsessed. He's just very thuggish. And then when the Warrior of Light beats him, he gets a very one track mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that run check ride is oh shit run. So we turn on Omega and we learn that the primal that was ultimately summoned by Ilbert, even though like like everyone thought it was going to be Rolger because like it was one of the one of the 12 gods, which we thought were yeah. more concept than God. We literally thought he was summoning violence as an yeah. existence. And instead, we get to see play out. Uh, like, honestly, I think this is the first time in Final Fantasy history where we actually get to see this rivalry depicted on screen as a rivalry. Omega versus Shinryu. I, it might have happened at 11. I'm not sure. <laughs> the monster robot Omega and the god dragon Shinryu. Yep. And they have a pretty awesome uh, anime fight for monster, a kaiju fight, let's call it in this case. Yeah, they have a kaiju fight in the sky. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, we don't get to see the full outcome of what happens, but both of them vanish. In a final clash, there's a huge explosion, and then we're not sure what happened next. But we know the Garleans are going to respond. So we decide we're going to throw in our lot with the Alamegan resistance. And Stormblood begins. <laughs> Ilbert, for all his war crimes, he's getting exactly what he wanted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like the Eorzeans have been drawn into the war, and now there's no choice to move forward. And the belief is that this is going to bring the real empire down. That's not Gaius' splinter remnants. Yeah. So, yeah. And we also find out that Ida was not Ida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ida is actually Ida's little sister, Peace. Apparently, Ida died years ago protecting her little sister. Not just protecting her little sister, protecting refugees from Alamigo. We find out that Lise Papalimo knew who she was, and some of the others probably knew as well. Mm-hmm. But he helped her by faking like certain identification, including the mark of the mark of Charlian, the Archon mm-hmm. mark. And also, everyone else kind of politely didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's the big thing. It's like everyone's just like, no, no, it's what she needs. And we, what we I mean, we're willing to respect it. Visa is going to be our new deuteragonist for Stormblood after Alphano was for Heavensward. I like Lisa a lot. I think she's a great character. <laughs> I know the the internet seems to hate her. I know. I'm, I don't get it. I don't hate her. I just didn't think she was that special. <laughs> and that's the problem right there. She has the exact same character as Alphano. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people are a bit sexist. <laughs> I hate to say, yeah. Lise is a little bit more prone to be book dumb to Alphano, so I think they kind of latch on that, making it look like an idiot more when they get compl- when people get complaining about it. It's kind of funny, and but she's still earnest, and, and honestly, she's less prejudiced and less pushy than him most of the time. Mm. Yep. So that brings us to Stormblood. Yes, I love Stormblood. I think Stormblood is great. Stormblood is where Final Fantasy yeah. 14 went from my third favorite yeah. Final Fantasy to my second favorite Final Fantasy. <laughs> it's Stormblood. The Asians decided to take a break, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I liked Heavensward better than Stormblood myself, but I've come around on liking Stormblood overall. So Stormblood is the story about how in the first day, a single glitch shut down everyone for several hours. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. We're not going to de- delve too deep into that. But, uh, I just want to say it kind of I, I don't remember if Heavensward did this. Kind of started a tradition where launch day, no matter how much they harden their servers, they completely get destroyed. But in this I, case, so, a specific single duty ended up being the flashpoint. So it kind of got infamous. Here's the thing. Stormblood's launch being as messy as it was, is a sign of how big of a success Heavensward was, because Heavensward yes. didn't have as nearly as big of a problem at its launch. And we learned that some countries like Japanese player base are willing to queue up like in their own queue. Just everyone wait to, to trigger the instance. While others are just well, other places are just very angry and just trying to push through. But let's not talk. Let's not dwell on that. Let's talk yeah, I just thought it was a fun start. So uh, Stormblood is 
It's a story of us finding our worst fan. Well, it's a story. It's a story of us uh, leading two successful rebellions against the empire in relatively newer imperial pro- yeah. uh, provinces. Yeah. We 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 lead two successful we lead two successful rebellions within the space of a week. It feels like. I also call it Final Fantasy XII story done right. I don't know. I don't know twelve story very well. So here's the story of Final Fantasy XII. A young princess has to restore the her kingdom from being taken over by the Empire, and she has to learn leadership in the process. But instead of learning leadership, she earns the right to rule by the right of Magic Rock. Oh, the right of Magic Rock is very powerful in in, in, any other RPGs. I I dislike Final Fantasy XII immensely. I'm sorry, people. (laughs) I remember you liking playing Zodiac, though. Zodiac Age is a fun game. I don't like the story at all. (laughs) Was it between Heaven's Word and Stormblood that the Empire had a succession crisis? Uh, Yes. I think it's starting. It actually is the succession crisis happened between a realm reborn and heavensward. Yeah. Like we just want to mention the empire is actually might be vulnerable because something crazy happened. The, the, the founding emperor over 130 years old, I believe has just died. Yep. And his son and his son that took it over or his grandson. Is his grandson at this point? I think it's his, is it his grandson or his son? I forget. Well, anyways, was not exactly the most popular choice. Like Varus, the emperor, and yeah, so it's no. kind of it's kind of left him in a shaky ground, though he's consolidating forces pretty quickly. The previous uh, guy was Solus Zoskalvis. The pre- current guy is Varus Zoskalvis. Apparently, yeah. the 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 middle modifiers. Uh, it's a title. Uh, comport yeah. to social rank or something. Yeah, like they're that. titles. And, and it's in reverse alphabetical because he started as Varus Yai Galvis, which I think is Prince. Zos appears to be emperor. In Alamigo, there is a viceroy that is. What is he, the son of Varus? Yes, he's Varus' son. Yes, Xenos, uh, yay Galvis. And Xenos is just, uh, let's say, not a lovely guy. I like Xenos, he's funny. He walks, oh yeah, but he walks, <laughs> like I said, first, mostly Garleans insist on wandering around in big face-covering masks at first. His is incredibly skull-like. Mm-hmm. But then we find his luxurious blonde hair under it. Also, Xenos, Xenos is a katana weeaboo. Xenos is a lot of things. A lot, a lot of things. Like we meet Xenos and that he one of the first thing he does is cut down a soldier for saying that like basically saying they didn't fight to the last man or something like that. Yep. However, he's not unfair because they because a conscripted a conscripted Alamegan soldier, she tries to get to blame and she he still takes out the Garlean commander because like you're clearly the blame. Uh, He's an interesting leader. In that he's mostly interested in finding people who are fun to fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said he has, I said he loves katanas. People can give him a katana to get his good side. He ha- keeps him in this big Gatling gun holder ass thing that rotates. Yeah. I, yeah and he, he just he carries has, around like a backpack. He won't put, he just slings over his shoulder. Like a golf bag that he keeps in his waist. It's great. Yeah. He has a katana yeah. Uh, caddy. Yeah. It's great. It's a, it's and, so, a, and he clearly says, he says more than once he rules as bad as he can to try to make people so pissed off to come come after him because he wants some of the fights. Yeah, he's he's literally bored with existence. He, he just wants to find anyone who can make him have fun in a fight. Anyone. And he anyone and later on, as I will say, he joined what I called the uh, the the battle between Kefka's later on determined who was going to be the official Kefka 14. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you ever be telling you that one? <laughs> Yeah. So because basically he's he's sociopathic, hungry, like basically he described him as ba- as pretty much a beast. He approves of the of the soldier I mentioned. Um, Fordola. Fordola, because he sees that she's 
vicious enough her own way it's someone who'd be desperate enough to do what he expects it yeah. kind of feels to me like like xenos is the the way he was brought up he didn't really feel anything and now he's hungry for somebody somebody that can make him feel something the supplemental anything. say a lot about that yeah the supplemental materials say that he was basically one his parent was his parents were abusive Varys doesn't Varys is too hostile and angry at at world to be a good father and yeah. Solus didn't even pay attention because Solus, I'll just say he was kind of checked out of everything by the time yeah. Zenos was around. Uh, and, yeah. and he found everything easy, but also people regularly tried to kill him. So yeah. he's also was always just stronger than other everyone just because. <laughs> Pure Buddy Garleans have three features. One, they can't use magic naturally. Two, they have a funny little gem right in the middle of their forehead, which apparently is a biological element. And it's three, they're eye. fucking. Yeah. And three, they're fucking huge. Yeah, it's t- they are taller than some rogatings and yeah. uh, and applied to be physically strong beyond measure. They it's almost like it's a trade off for not using either. Xenos gets a plan from Ferdola to squash the Alamegan resistance before they can really get started. And guess what? He fucking does it. Yeah, he shows up and he murders us almost literally. Ferdola like, is kind of like the classic Queensland character. I don't ca- want to call her that. She's an interesting character. Fordola is a young woman who puts everything in the service of the Empire because she sees there's no other choice. Yeah. And she sees how and while the Empire likes to say they're uniting the world, we see how the the Garleans badly treat their subjects. So, yeah, like her family was destroyed by it. Fordola is fighting tooth and nail for citizenship because that's the only way she sees that she can get respect because she's definitely not going to get it from the Eorzeans. They don't give a shit about her. And Xenos, Xenos is... Uh, among his many faults, he is not racist. And so <laughs> he sees people as interesting or useless. Yeah. And he sees her as interesting because he sees that she is. Well, she's crazy enough to be. She's hungry and possibly crazy enough to be entertaining. Yeah. And so uh, we try and stop him from taking from taking us down. He is level 70 and we are 61. Yeah. <laughs> he destroys us, almost kills Ishtola when she gets the way to fight and destroys the fledgling army we had started to put together the first two quests. And the only yeah. reason he lets us live is, is because he thinks he sees a flash of something interesting in us. Uh, he was disappointed, but we damaged one of his swords. Yeah. That like, was the only like, thing. <laughs> he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't kill this one in particular. Yeah. He kind of vacillates between slight hope, but kind of he becomes very unmotivated also. Yeah. So he 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 doesn't completely throw it away, but he also kind of just like, I'm done here. Yep. Maybe something better in the future, but I'm just done. While we're trying to regroup out here, we decide we should probably go deal with the Empire in another place. Yeah, we need to split their forces. They're too they're too strong, too entrenched, and Xenos is too powerful. Back Let's go to Doma. Back in a Reborn, we met Yugiri, a ninja from the nation of Doma. Doma was conquered by the Empire a long time ago. Uh, it was one of their first conquests, wasn't it? I don't think you can call it first because stuff like the, um, well, okay, yeah, the Final yeah. Fantasy twelve worlds were earlier. Yeah, yeah. But Doma, Doma was like part of their eastern expansion. They recently tried to have an uprising and they got fucking crushed. <laughs> and that was several years ago. The The Lord of Doma was killed and his son has gone missing. Yep. And the people have been flattened to the, let's say, just flattened into the dirt. <laughs> They've been crushed of all hope is the... Way I would put it. All Amigo had a lot of people dispirited and not trusting. Doma has people not believing in anything. Right. We go all the way across the world to the east. Uh, we take a brief. We, we, go, we go through fantasy Hong Kong. No, it's not Hong Kong. Uh, Kugane is more. Uh, what is it? 
Kugane is based on Kugane is based on Dajima District of Nagasaki, which was more or less like the one place where you could go if you were a yeah. uh, trader trying to work with Japan. Yeah, and we also have our obligatory oh, weeaboo trader uh, Hancock, who introduces us to uh, Kugane, Kugane is like very pretty city, but like there's embassies for every nation here, including the Empire, and things are like. There's a lot of it's kind of just like a, it's a tense city, heavily, like very strongly controlled by Ingashi's government. So it's, yeah. it's technically peaceful, but it kind of has a heavy tension to it. And, and so here we meet the bane of my existence. Yes. 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 What are they called? Yes. Yes. They're uh, called the Namazu. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love the Namazu. They're so weird. Horrible little catfish bastards named after the great cat earthquake causing catfish of mythology. There's just these little annoying brats who keep trying to fuck us over. Yeah, they are basically the biggest assholes of all the tribes is yeah. probably the best way. Also, that they're so helpless that they will basically get uh, that they will basically die and get uh, get killed unless we help them. Yeah, we Pretty didn't much. talk much about the beast <laughs> tribes. The beast tribe for the for the Namazu is all the things we do based on vague visions, are accidentally saving them from, like, ten different forms of extinction in the future. Yes. Yes. In the near future, might I add. In, including one where where the, uh, where the, what you call it, the horn people, uh, oh, the Aura, uh, will... The horn people? And that's how you define us? That's how you define the Aura? Just the horn He's going to start calling not, me a potato not next. Not the coolest race? I'm sorry? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only unique race in Final Fantasy fourteen. That... The horn people, that's how you're going to go with? <laughs> what about the Sorry, tigers? I, I love, I love, I love Aura. They are the best race. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so basically, they're going to find out they're tasty. Yes, they're going to find out they're tasty and then hunt to dis- extinction. And Frank, like we, one of the things we do is we're trying to say that we take them to all the different major NPCs of the, of the Aura tribes in the steps. And almost all of them think that the, uh, they look delicious. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Anyway. So yeah, we, we meet a Namazu who tries to trick us in the most blatant trap possible. So we punch him into the stars. Yep. <laughs> I think Lee does. But anyways. Uh, and so we and so it begins our quest to try and go through Naxia. We go through the Ruby Sea. We try and get help with the pirates. They're like, we will help you if you can get help. <laughs> yeah. Like there's like there's a. Don't think it's like a confederacy. They're, they're confederacy yeah. is what they're called. Like they're yeah. they basically are like we will. You need to pay us if you want to get through here. If you want us to help you, you got to show us you can do something. They're the type of pirate slash gangsters that keep order, but in a way that they're in charge. Like, it's not horrific for people, but you better do what they say if you can't do it, like, handle them. So after we work with them, we try and make inroads into uh, Yansha. Only to run across a very angry woman. Yansha is kind of funny because it's essentially Japan. But what if, it, if Japan were China? It's, yeah, yeah, China, but with all the Japanese tropes. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically, as said, Xenos, I, I, I'm being sarcastic, but he since he actually kind of wants to see rebellions because they'll be fun. Mm-hmm. He put the worst possible person in front of Doma and then apparently decided to send Grin Walsh to hang out with her. Yep. Yep. Because uh, like, she's not mad Yosu, enough. Yosuyu is the other messy woman that's in uh, Stormblood. That is one of the reasons why people hate Stormblood, but I kind of love it. <laughs> she She's almost justified because the Domans did not treat her well at all. Well, we all. don't get her full story yet, though. She is a brutal tyrant. A, she is a open, literal sadist, as if she gets joy and pleasure in people's... It, it hurts mm-hmm. towards the per of her nationality. Like She hates Domans, and we know from the start that she had a bad past, but she takes down literally anyone she sees. 
Yeah. Like she forces, she tries to force children to murder their parents. So when they won't, she just shoots them in cold blood herself. She yeah. steps on people and, yep. and she's just vicious, cold and haughty. Yeah. She is like the most sadistic ruler you can imagine. She'll even say later when tormenting like uh, turtle beast tribes that pissed her off because they failed. It's like, no, I can kill a thousand of you. It won't be as good as killing one Doman. Yeah, she she's wild. I think she's an amazing character. <laughs> so, yeah, so she's doing an admirable. Frankly, I think she's doing better than Zeno's hopes. So she's keeping the people completely crushed. Yeah. So we go into Yangsha trying to find out where the son of the former king and the leader of their resistance, Kayan, is. Or not Kayan, uh, Hien. Hien, son of Kayan. The most problematic character of FF6. Yeah, I was going to say, Kayan is the Final Fantasy VI uh, reference. Yeah, sorry, sorry to rip sorry to rip off uh, No Cat a bit, but I really did yeah. like their interpretation of that. Their interpretation <laughs> of Cyan is really fun. Uh, but anyways. Uh, Hien is missing. We need to find him. Yeah. He, and we, we track him to the steps. Here's the thing, though. In order for us to learn that information, we have to inspire the people of Yangsha to actually stand up for themselves. And holy shit, is that difficult because they are broken. So in order to do this, Yugiri and the Warrior of Light get a very stupid idea. They're going to try and attack Xenos. <laughs> Xenos is here, too. It worked great last time. Let's do it again. It's a pretty stupid idea, but it, yeah. like it's so stupid that it ends up inspiring people. <laughs> like I said, but yeah, we get crushed again. I mean, we all we managed to do is break his helmet this time. Yeah, but at the same time, he's like, OK, I definitely should be keeping you alive. <laughs> oh, because we impressed him a little better this time. I remember it's like the fact that we returned that alone impressed him. But I think we actually fight a little better, too. Yep. And he's here because the turtles are giving him because he's stealing a sword from the turtles. I don't remember yep. who he gets it from. By the way, while we were dealing with the turtles, we also uh, had to deal with it with Susano, who is he considered an auspice or is he considered a primal? He's a primal. Oh, you know, he's a primal. He's, 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 just, he's he, the, the summoning process for him is very different, though. Well, it's no, it's just that the the vault that he was summoned from was so full of crystals and powered things. He just kind of accidentally formed. Yep. Yeah. And then the, the he of, was he was the pool of gasoline. No one noticed what they were smoking. Well, they were lighting up their cigarettes. Yep. The primals in this game are kind of explicitly said to be very much up to interpretations. Whatever the people who summon them believe they're going to act like is what they end up acting well, like. Well, we learned that about Shiva and that that Hayes Falger told told that Isel that Shiva, that Shiva she summoned was just what she imagined. And that was part of his whole this scorn over her thinking she was the person reborn. So mm-hmm. like we've learned and we learned from the dragon Tiamat that she, when she resummoned Bahamut, who was a dragon before he was killed by Algans, she also just created a horrible monster. So we've kind of learned how the primals maybe aren't just like literal gods summoned, but there's something being created. Uh, so, so, there's so much that it's hard to get one piece at a time. Jesus. I know, right. It's it's a it's a massive game. I love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we get so we get beat up by Xenos. We get no gift by Xenos, but we still manage to inspire the uh, people of what's the name of that little country? Uh, Namai. I just kind of it's like, holy shit, the balls that took is almost the tone they give. Yeah, it's like the people of Namai are like, OK, you might actually have something if you can get the prince to come back. We might join you. I so said we need the prince. The prince is the hope that's left. Yep. And so we go to the Asm step. As I've said before, I am very fond of structured narrative. And as it turns out, Stormblood has a very cool narrative where everything is centered on the Asm step. And like each problem that we're introduced with gets solved once we finish this up on Asm step. It's great. Like um, like when we were talking just back in Kingdom Hearts, how everything needs Aqua. Everything needed what's here. Like we've we've made problem after problem, promise after promise, and here's finally where we're going to find a chance to solve them. 
but we're going to have to uh, take over a we have to take over a confederation of tribes as their leader just to get get anywhere yeah. with this. Let's be clear, we're gonna have to become Khan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to rush, but we're it's just so no. detailed here. I know the the Shela are kind of interesting. They're a particular they're so cool. They're a particular subtype of Aura. Highly fractured nomadic nomadic uh, tribes across the Great Step. Like there's, I think they say there's like thirty or forty different groups. Oh, 50, they all have 50. gimmicks. And like it's like some of the gimmicks are like normal. Like uh, we think we all believe that we're in reincarnations. Uh, normal that leads them all to be psychopathic berserkers, John. Hey, I'm just like, would you prefer them be the people that fuck horses? Because they could be the people that fuck horses. <laughs> oh no, we're back in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Um, oh, like, we can also be the we can also be the ones of all men or women. So that and they kidnap from other tribes. That's just really yeah. uncomfortable because it has some really predatory, bad implications. But anyway, there's the there's the tribe that doesn't speak because words are why the warrior of light ends up being a pretty good like, patriot term. Because it's like, it's like, hey, me neither. Yeah, warrior <laughs> of light. It, it's so funny just how the warrior of light just like instantly. I am on and then, their level. And then, like and then the huge pricks that took over the big castle in the middle of the step and just thinks that they're the most awesome. They're like the, what is it? The the Oranir. The Oranir. The Oranir are like, are the one Zayla race that are like, we didn't come from the moon. We came from the sun. Because the sun, because the sun and moon in their mythology are our husband and wife goddess, gods. Yeah. So. And like, like the yeah, moon leader believes that they're an incarnation of, a, of the, of the sun. Mag, yep. Magni, world's biggest incel. Yeah. I'm not even going to admit words on that. He so has the energy. He's like, just this huge guy who literally talks to himself like he is the god and wants to find his one chosen woman, but no one can stand him. Anyway, so the point is, there are there's all these disparate tribes of the Zela. And we meet Hien, and he's like, these tribes can help us. Yeah, Hien wants to unite all the tribes under one ruler. He wants, because he thinks they can help him with his country. Yes. Also, he's befriended the one tribe and wants to help them, too. So, well, not, not just that, though. He's thrown in his lot with the mole. The mole are the weakest tribe. Their deal is that they see the future. That's it. Their deal is that the one character is very boy. Yes. Yep, they're <laughs> big on uh, on animal husbandry, herding animals, things like that. that I mean, they and, they're the ones that, and they're the ones that thought the Namazu looked the most tasty, <laughs> judging on what we saw in the flash forward. So Anyways. The, so, so, so the, yeah, the mole... Hien's whole theory is if I can lead the mole to victory in the next Nadam. Basically, the tribes have a ritualistic fight every so often to determine which tribe has the is the leader. Yep. Usually it's either the Ornir or the Dotharl that win. Dotharl are the lunatics I mentioned. The Dotharl are really cool. I love their leader. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I keep cra- cra- crazy woman who yeah. almost identifies as male because they're bleeding from reincarnation, but yes. Mm-hmm. It's just it's also just a a bloodthirsty fight lunatic mm-hmm. who enjoys getting I, also kind of enjoys getting beat up. That's a little worrying. I love all the really messed up people in Stormblood and that kind of says something about me, I think. <laughs> so but so we have to join a fight. But in order to qualify for it, we have to beat the puzzle dungeon. We get a big bird, which proves that we can be in the fight. We have a cool ass big pitched battle with all the uh, different NPCs involved. One of the things that I love about Stormblood just in general is how good the solo duties are. And the Nadam is the coolest one in the entire fucking game. Because we're fighting different groups showing up like when. Uh, so the start of it is you are uh, rushing to the middle because um, it's a king of the castle. It's a king of the castle fight. Yeah, it's a king of the castle fight. You have to rush to the middle to take control of the 
to take control of the hill or what have you. But then we like then they come ass in force. We do get there early. Like we fight and out a so, few there. And then the then the big leaders start coming down at us. Yeah. And but eventually the warrior of light claims victory. So we've kind of literally appropriated their culture because now we're in charge of it. Yes. I, on my replay, I played as a Zayla, so I think it was okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I have been a Lalafell, and I'll always be a Lalafell because I'm a tall, big guy. Being a tiny potato amuses the shit out of me. And everything about Lalafell is funny, but anyways, yeah. We're, it's okay because we, we were approved by the local gods, it's fine. Yeah, the, the local giant statue. <laughs> and so right as we claim the conship, who should show up? But 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 Ginny what or whatever his name is. <laughs> Grindwatt. Um, Greenland. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped. Give me a second. Jenny ass. <laughs> Oof. He shows up and he's trying to be a, he's trying to be like, he's just going to take out the warrior of light with his new cool weapon, but we have an army. Yeah. It, it is. I just love that. It's like for as sulky as the Thari are and as angry as Magnet or are, they actually do their job. Like they, they oh, accept yeah. the leadership. They accept that you are the new con. And they will stand with you to beat the shit out of these little imperial. Uh, so like, yeah, this this king of the hill uh, brawl turns into everyone on the step drives the empire back. It is like it's like the turning point of this entire story. It is so. Because now <laughs> I have I have a big weapon. I have an army. Yep. The entire reason we're trying to recruit the Jela is because they're kind of known. Even the empire kind of fears them as a force if they were united. I, I think the empire overlooks really them because of that. Yeah, yeah but they're, they're yeah. known to be powerful and numerous, but spread out. Yeah, they're spread out. They're not really unified. So the empire doesn't see them as a threat. By unifying them, <laughs> we made them a huge threat. And I'm pretty sure by Grinwald showing up, he pissed off them enough that they were even more cooperative. Like, he just showed up oh, yeah. at the worst possible time. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gr- Grinwald basically comes and, and basically tries to lay down the Imperial law and says, you you guys are Imperial subjects. You need yeah. to. Uh, yeah, grind, to grind a lot like, really screwed up here. We drive the Imperials back and we head back to Yangsha to. And now it begins. We. So now that we have our move, now that we have our forces, now the, now we're going to be bold. Yep. We, and we're going to destroy the castle. We really quick yep. just basically make a big plan to invade Doma Castle and unseat Yotsuyu. But literally Empire. the plan is to destroy the castle from beneath to disrupt them. And as I said, like, look, the people are more important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's yeah. like we they flood the castle. Uh, you t- take it over. Um, he, by the way, Grim, Grim Boy uh, gets unethically experimented on first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At the end of Doma Castle, the final boss of that dungeon is basically Hypertune Grindwatt. And he basically got uh, cybernetically and psychologically we don't know what. enhanced. See, Doom Guy, call him Doom Guide. One of his lines is rip and tear. <laughs> yeah. Basically, we know they we actually learned that they they kidnapped our, one of our friends, Krill, that we never mentioned, Final Fantasy V transplant character. And because she also the Echo and they've been but they've been working on the Echo and it's implied that what they've done to him is an early experiment. We never see his face again. So something horrible happens. Yeah. They, like he's he's bound up in his armor for the rest of the time we see him. And he's screaming like a maniac in the last fight. Yep. So, so we de- so we defeat him. You'll see us swept away by the ocean along with our huge samurai burly buddy we didn't mention. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of characters. It's fine. And now Doma is freed. And as on the way, Lisa has learned a bit of a lesson about leadership of her own. <laughs> yeah. And he and, and some of the forces come back with us. Yep. The whole idea now oh. is that because of this, the Empire 
really has to commit a lot of forces to Doma from all over the place. And also the Doma ninjas start spreading the word that the uh, Empire fell here. And other and other and other rebellions start cropping up. We hear later, so yeah, we've 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 punched the empire in the nose, and everyone sees it bleed. Yeah, this is like this is the biggest cut against the empire since the Praetorium, and and that one they were able to dismiss because they were they claimed Gaius's forces were renegades and not supported. So one yeah. kind of interesting note about this whole uh, thing randomly is that they did a lot of research into how. Rome actually worked because clearly the empire is modeled after Rome with all oh, yeah, the Latin yeah. names and stuff most like most empires a lot. It's hard to say that most empires. It's a bit. Aren't. It's a bit of Rome, bit of Russia, and a bit of America. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They, I, oh, sorry. I say you say how they're you're talking about how they would empower locals, right? Yeah. Yeah. They they the the way that they they ran their army with you know basically uh, it, drafting people or conscripting people and then displacing them, taking them far away in order to yeah. uh, oppress uh, other people, mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's it's much more risky to make them oppress their own people is, is yeah. what that probably broke down to. But yeah, yeah, so now it's time to go back to Alamigo because shit's g- getting real there. <laughs> With Zeus's focus off them, they've actually been quietly rebuilding. Well, he promises to come help us when he's ready. He can't come yep. right away. We are able to uh, shake the loyalty a lot of a lot of the Imperial soldiers in Alamigo in the end because of the fact that quite a few of them actually were uh, conscripted from Specific- Doma. Specifically, it was the Lupins that were conscripted yeah. from Doma that we managed to The wolf stay. people. <laughs> basically, we get our push uh, through Garabanya to make our way to Alamigo Castle. This last chapter is basically just like continuing to resolve the bits yeah. that we started with one by one. We have to deal with a primal on the way because it's the one thing where Stormblood like sort of messes up with the formula is that the primals are the most forced in of any of the stories so far, I think. So Zao's there just kind of be a fun, a weird fun fight. He's actually the most chipper primal yeah. we've ever met. Yeah, he's actually very friendly. He just yeah. <laughs> he's the Lord of the Revel. The yep. fights and the primals themselves are great. I just don't think they're integrated into the story very well. And that's my big yeah. thing about Stormblood is that the, tri- the trials do not feel like they match the pace of the story. And let's be clear, I feel like with Heaven's Word, it probably shouldn't have been pri- uh, the primals that we fought either as big trials. Like Nidhogg should have been a trial, right? Mm-hmm. That definitely makes sense. But yeah, so we after a stop to fight off some bad snakes and so get the other snakes to help us. Yeah. To get the danger noodle uh, ladies nagas. on our side. Breakthrough Kashmirbania, which is a research facility that's very much heavily well, for, inspired by. I, I, I do by, want to mention Fordola gets fucked over here. Oh yeah, She's made the fire on her own on their own friend. Like her literal her her crew is her friends, like her childhood yeah. friends. There, Xenos makes her shell the location because you don't get to say no to Xenos unless you just want to be in yeah. half. And then Astinian destroys, and then Astinian shows up, destroys the cannon, leaves. Yep, I, I love him just popping up. Isn't Fordola at this point the one who uh, ends up being experimented on yeah. to yeah. get an yeah. artificial yeah. echo? Yeah, they call it the resonance. She is the first successful resonance subject, as I recall. Yeah. As we fight through the Magitech research facility from FF6, yep. face her, and it's weird. This is the first time it occurs to me that the mechanic of AoEs appearing on the ground is actually the echo. Uh, it, I think that's like been debunked by the creators, but... Oh, I'm sad. I love that. It's fun to think about it. I prefer thinking it that way. I actually prefer that interpretation. Yeah. So we beat her. We beat Fordola down and then we save Kryle. Uh, Kryle is specifically being experimented on in the Alamegan castle area, though. So we have to find her there. So after we fight through the facility, we're kind of ready for our last push. And this at the capital city Alamigo is just a it's an invasion. (laughs) Yeah, it's an invasion. Everyone that we've worked with in 
all the way from A Realm Born to now, including the people that we made friends with out in the East, show up to help an Alamigo. We get a Doman Detachment, I believe is how they describe it. Like, he ends there to join the uh, the Alliance, he describes it. Amerik and Raubound show up. Well, like every, well, Raubound is leading the charge. Raubound yeah, is, is a native Alamigan. He's swears he's going to yes. be there. Yeah. Uh, but like um, everyone, like it is pretty much every single friend that we've made along the way comes to help us save Alamigo. The real rebellion was the friends we made along the way. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so now we're fighting right to the castle where Xenos is waiting and he's happy to see us. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have our fi- last fight with Xenos on foot and then Xenos is like, hey, want to see something cool? Check out what's in the backyard. To the garden. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so you forgot about this, right? Yeah, we actually beat Xenos on on his own terms, and yep. he decides, okay, I'm going to pull my trick. I got a dragon in a box. Do you got a dragon in a box? So there's one particular bit in this that I really love, is that in this final talk with Xenos, he's explaining his whole thing. He's like, I'm going to take this dragon, and I'm going to become this he, dragon. Yeah, because he's got Shinryu. Shinryu's in a great big bubble stasis on, this, on the roof of the castle, but no one noticed. How do you miss that? And then we see him with his resonant eye because apparently he's been he took the experiment after it worked at Fordola. Yep. Yeah. So but before he merges with him, there is this one dialogue option that I was like really amused <laughs> by on my replay where like you have the option of saying to Xenos, I accept you or I deny you. And I so I'm pretty sure the first time I played, I'm like, I deny you because <laughs> he's just a he's just a bloodthirsty creature. In this he's blood. a bloodthirsty maniac. But like because I knew it was coming, I was like. I got to just see what happens if you say I accept you. And he's just like, fuck off. No, you don't. <laughs> don't like, I don't like don't lie to me. Yeah, he, he fucking knows that you don't like him. He does, He's like, I don't want I do not want that of you. That is not what I want for you to do. I want you to fucking fight me. <laughs> yeah, and he is in his full. I am a crazy dude. Men should fight for fun, not for other reasons, not to live, to eat, to breathe. It should be great fun. Violence yeah. for violence, dude. Yeah. And he's just doing his full crazy faces here. I actually yeah. pulled up the scene. I have a lot I want to say about Xenos that I will have to hold off on until the next episode. Well, this is just this this is just Xenos to start. Yeah. So he merges with the dragon. Now he's the dragon. So we fight Shinryu in the most absolutely gorgeous fight in the game so yeah. far. Yeah. Like we go into some, we go into final boss land like with this, this like a psychedelic background, a huge platform. It's explicitly based on the final area of Final Fantasy V because that's where you fight Shinryu there. Yeah, it's kind of got these these weird glass crystal platforms. Yeah, yeah. And he's using other primal moves to some degree. Like, yeah, Shinryu is multi-elemental. Just an amazingly, amazingly cool spectacle fight. Nice of the Round is probably a bit more fan service because like, I mean, because Final Fantasy seven is one of those Final Fantasies that is in the this is a Final Fantasy for the normies. Final Fantasy V is one of the Final Fantasies for the perverts, and that's why this fight is just like such candy for me. <laughs> so like basically, so we're fighting the giant dragon while the rest, I assume the rest of the uh, rebellion center was like, fuck, it's not that much we can do here. I don't understand how we have uh, seven other people that are helping us in this fight, but. <laughs> it's always a consistent thing. We have adventurer friends. It's kind of been a joke throughout here because fights are four eight man dungeon fights. So yeah. like the, some of your, like, I think they actually say during. Yeah, go gather your adventurer friends. Yeah. I think they actually say during like the flavor text for Susanna, luckily, maybe some of your friends are fishing nearby. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're yeah. in the middle of an island, in the middle of nowhere. You still pull up seven or guys to fight who must have the echo or you're protective. It's unclear which. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, we beat Shinryu and some some pretty great 
They've tried. I think this is the first fight where they really try things like the active time events just to add some extra player. Active time events were introduced in the last raid tier of Heavensward, but like they really start being used in interesting ways. Yeah, they, they tend so, they tend to mark phase changes. Yeah. So as Xenos dies, he beat him up. He's not dead yet. Yeah, he has some words to say. He he has a lot to say because basically, when you beat him as this, he basically develops this entire complex about you because yeah, you're the first person who's, who's been able to actually beat him going all out. And because Hamilton was really big at the time, the line he uses is my first friend, my enemy. <laughs> There's a lot of Hamilton references. In I like that. Okay. Lisa's is there and Lisa's is there trying to accuse him of all his horrible stuff. He's like, no, I'm perfectly happy. What I did meeting was death. That's just how life is. And then he cut, then he cuts his throat. Yep. Yep. Estinian destroys the eyes of Nidhogg finally, because, boy, we need to get rid of those sooner. <laughs> Abrick said just before this, he felt really bad that he left those eyes out there for some asshole to find. Doesn't he make a eye shish kebab? Yes. No. He just oh, yeah. pokes him. Well, yeah, he's, he notes that they appear to be completely dry ether, but no wrist. He just stabs through them like with a slice. Yep. Yeah. Can't let that sitting around anymore. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Estinian. You have done two things and they were both actually useful in this patch. So, yeah, Xenos is dead. No one feels happy about it because he just felt he escaped his justice. Yep. Yeah. But Alamigo is time to rebuild. And Lisa decides, why don't we be a republic? Well, our last king was a psycho, so. Yeah, like no one wants a king. Though weird snake people kind of want a snake goddess instead. But <laughs> so the people are free. There's it actually ends with them singing an anthem. And we've I said we've run two rebellions in what feels like less than a month, possibly faster. And yeah. so we we basically bloodied the empire, which was previously yeah. believed by most people to be basically invincible. Yeah, they were the encroaching force. No one was stopping because of all that. We've kicked off another revolution out in Dalmasca, which is just the Final Fantasy 12 land, which is which that just leads that just leads to the uh, to the 12 to the 24 man raid, 24 man raid and also Basha a little bit later on. But whatever. That's all that uh, it's it's written by Matsuno. It's overwritten and kind of bad. <laughs> So I just want I feel like this patch, the first half is kind of just rebuilding Alamigo, figuring shit out. And then you and then we find out that Yotsu is alive. <laughs> like I said, we, we even like Fordola gets basically gets turned into a tool like mm-hmm. she's in prison. No one will forgive her, but she also she's willing to work with her resonant powers to help with primals and that she's not exactly repentant, but she has a lot to think about, including how much. She reads out the warrior's pain when she connects with him. Uh, that's the big thing is that because she has this resonant power, she can now like feel what other people have been through. And she can't turn it off. And she can't turn it off. And when she feels the warrior of life, she's just like, how are you standing? Yeah. So after a little bit, we're fighting the snake goddess again. We then find out a that our big our big samurai old buddy has as Yotsuya with him. But she's lost our memory. Yep. Uh, and we began to learn a lot more about like how Yotsuya got to where she is as she is. Uh, living as a Suyu, who is basically just kind of a child, honestly. <laughs> with uh, someone with a language skills and like general ability to take care of herself, but no memories and no knowledge. This is the yeah. part that I initially did not like about Yotsuyu because it it it, it almost felt like I, I didn't like the infantilization, and I also didn't like the she chooses to be unredeemable. I don't think that's what happens. Like that is basically what happens. what happens is her brother, who is one of Zenos's fanboys, 
Asahi, biggest, most punchable face in the world. Yes. It's just a huge, huge prick who likes to pretend he's friendly, but can't be near us for more than five minutes without just making angry faces for what we did. Well, yeah, this Asahi guy is also basically running a false flag from within an organization that should be seeking peace. Yeah. Yeah. He shows up. They said they're going to do a prisoner exchange. But for basically, he's there to rev up Yutsu. He brings their parents who she hates because I believe they basically sold her. They sold her into basically sex slavery. They sold her into a marriage. And then when that failed, she was then she was thrown into a brothel. And while the owner at first thought that she's too she's too damaged, I shouldn't do a story. He's like, well, everyone's requesting her. So whatever. She's been through a fucking lot. (laughs) And it's hard to blame her for being enraged. But the fact she lashes out everyone she sees is it can't is not sustainable. So she brings their parents and of course she snaps and kills them. Yeah, well, Asahi also has left her with this little little moon mirror that she becomes fascinated with. And as it turns out, that is a artifact associated with the moon goddess Tsukiyomi. Her and him draw us into a trap, into a transport filled with crystals, and she becomes and she turns into a primal. Catalyzes her into becoming Tsukiyomi. So I will say this. Tsukiyomi was the first fight in this game that made me cry. This is the first time in this game that like I cried at all. The narrative in in that in that trial was actually really good. That was the one part of Yotsuyu I really did like. Seeing her memories of Suyu and the kindness that like the Samurai Gotsetsu gave her, crashing against her memories that she's usually hurt herself of everything yeah. she suffered. Frankly, this throughout this fight, I think she wants to die. Yeah, she does. Oh, she definitely does. I joked about Thornton throwing himself at the Primal Slayer. I almost think Yotsuyu did deliberately. So she loses a bit of her power in the middle and she realizes the hatred of all the people is how I get my own power. So she conjures up shades of people to all the people that have tormented her. And you have to beat those shades before they can before she can, like, get too powerful to kill you all. But because she can't in denial, a shade of Gotsetsu, because he's told her nothing but kindness, stands in front of her to protect her. And she, from a shade of Xenos, no less. And, and, like, it, and it horrifically upsets her. Like, it breaks her composure yeah. to have him there. Like, she doesn't want that. Like, it, her yeah. mind can't take it anymore. The, the whole framing of that fight just, like, wrecks me every time. It's really Yeah, good. this was the part of, of Yotsuyu that I really did like and what made me change my mind that I actually did like the arc in the end. I just really didn't like where she was infantilized and the whole I think there was a bit of misogyny of, about how she was treated in, in some parts as well. If you think about once she returns to herself, she only she, we only ever see her attack the people most deserving of it. I, I suppose you could say that wouldn't last. And that's part of what she knows about herself. And like she's and I still think she's choosing to be nothing. Maybe it's not completely OK. Yeah. But it's, I think you're right. Like, rather than choosing to be irredeemable, she's choosing to end it. And so basically the re- resolution of all the Stormblood plots resolves on Fordola is atoning. Then Yotsuyu is unable to atone. Yeah. So all she does is so once she goes down her with the last train, because Asi comes out to be just a horrific asshole bragging about how he's destroyed the piece. She she kills him with swords with with. That's actually, J- John, I think that's actually an interesting uh, parallel that I hadn't actually thought of before. Yeah. The so parallel I, between Fordola and Yotsuyu and how Fordola yeah. is probably exactly as bad as Yotsuyu is. And her hate is almost as strong as Yotsuyu Yotsuyu's was as well. But she she chose to try to redeem herself. So here's the thing about Stormblood that I've noticed is that a lot of people have a hard time dealing with ambiguity and Stormblood mm-hmm. is a lot more ambiguous about who the good and bad guys are. Yeah, for sure. It really asks you to sympathize with both Fordola and Yotsuyu, even as it also says you probably shouldn't empathize with Xenos. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I could say Yotsuyu is Fordola, who was spent too long in the cycle. Yeah. yeah. Fordola's only luck is that her abuses weren't, were fortunate enough not to be as severe a start, and she is, is younger and spent less time in the worst of it. She was also given less power. The best way to make a bully is to give someone who was bullied a lot of power. We can't make that reference yet. She dies taking Asi down with him, with her. No one cries about Asahi, at least. Nope. <laughs> Alpha No decides to go with the Popularis, who, which was Asahi's group that he was with. The ones who actually believed it rather than just being yeah. a horrible, a horrible trolling monster. Yeah. Like I said, so basically, once all that's resolved, even though the Popularis are trying, it's quite clear the Empire is still coming. Well, and then the Popularis ship is shot down. And attacked by soldiers on the ground. Yep. And they are saved. By a man with a gunblade. Has a bunch of Asian mask-like trophies. Yep. Nope. And, uh, and also the mask of Gaius Balsar. <laughs> it's Gaius. He's not dead. <laughs> it's pretty fucking obvious. <laughs> he's kind of got a rugged, dusky skin and black and black feathered hair thing going. Yep. It's, he's basically completely sunblasted at this point from yeah. being an he does look like He does look like a guy who's been, who's been cooked in the desert a little bit, yeah. But then what happens next is Varus comes in. Yep. The emperor comes and says he wishes to meet with the uh, with the alliance. Well, also, while this is all going on, some of the scions are starting to faint. Yeah. And for inexplicably, two two other strange things have appeared. Xenos appears to be back. And also some some two toned chuckle haired chuckle fuck is annoying Varus. Oh, yeah. This is the first time we get to see a weird two toned haired chuckle fuck. I, well, I think Flyout says that he's his grandfather. He says that he's also Scalvis, the for, the original emperor. Why is he still around? Oh, clones. He gets shot in the head by Varus. You talk too much. And then just comes back two seconds later. He's like, that was pointless. So we learn that the Empire was created by Assians. <laughs> Literally, the founder was an Assian in a human body. Yep, the Assians took off Stormblood just to come back and have the biggest Assian plot reveal of all yet. <laughs> yeah. We know that Xenos as a Linibus has taken his body. So yep. that so that we have Assians all around. And Varus just seems like the world's angriest man because of all this. Yeah, yep. Varus is kind of like he's like, I have my own agenda. I don't want to be just a tool for the Assians. And Solus and, is very not happy yeah. about that. Solus and Linibus both shoot shit on pretty hard over, though. Pretty rough. Is that you almost feel bad for the warmongering lunatic. So as science start to fade, um, Varys comes for a so-called they, peace conference. They they faint and they go into comas and nobody can raise them out of it. As if their spirits have vanished. By the time this little peace conference has happened, the only scion that's left is Alice. Gaius even came back with a broken alpha nod. It's like, I didn't do it. Varys openly explains that the Asians are trying to destroy the world through the rejoinings of these of the reflections. And he also kind of explains that his ideology is one of uh, basically Garlean racial supremacy. And he has this idea of perfecting humans through eugenics. And that's the the entire agenda that he's doing. He actually thinks he could take the the Asians plan from. Yeah, he's decided that he's going to do the Asians plan. And he also like legitimately says He goes down the line with every single nation. He's just like, this is how you have fucked up. This is how you have fucked up. This is how you have fucked up. And like no one has anyone anything to say. His points aren't perfect. There are other details repeatedly. He's deep and sharp enough that almost no one's able to do more to just gape at him. And he just. And while they do rally back against him and he dismisses them off, they said he cuts a figure there. He's not an idiot. So the Orsian Alliance and neighboring countries are all set to clash with the Empire 
Yeah. When we hear the voice one more time after Alice is coma. The voice. Yeah. The voice that's been taking the science as they as they as they faint. And we get to meet this weird man with a crystal arm in a weird void. Well, this happens right after we're fighting, right? As we're fighting Elidibus, uh, Zenos. Yeah, yeah. By a single solo trial against Elidibus and Zenos' body, which is extra terrifying because it's all the physical power of a of a Garlean with all the magic of an Asian. And also, you can't really kill an Asian. So we learned that if this war continues as it is, a calamity on scale with the one that nearly destroyed the world will happen. Dude, we're headed towards doom and he must come to the first. Yes. And so that is where we're going to leave this discussion yeah. with where that little cliffhanger. <laughs> we should probably talk about Omega. All right, so, yes, yeah, so Omega is the raid cycle, because although Shinryu was picked up by the Garleans, Omega apparently dug himself a giant hole to hide in. Yep. <laughs> so we find out that Omega is not actually a creation of Allegans. Omega is something that the Allegans found and rebuilt. It's something from the stars, most likely. Yes. And in fact, we also learned that dragons came from the stars, too. Omega is an intelligent being that can basically form anything out of possibly nanotechnology and also like summoning through ether. Like he, he makes it makes a point to make us fight it by literally summoning monsters in the middle of our friends saying I could have killed them all. And I still yep. will if you don't fight me. Yep. yep. He wants to see who's the strongest thing. He wants to be the strongest thing because yeah. that's self-improvement. Self-improvement and through through combat and experimentation. And he also takes a special interest in us as uh, the warrior of light and humans in general, I guess. Well, we're, we're beating his we're, we're defeating his calculations. And he's in particular, he's just like, why do these heroes who are not as strong as these bad guys keep winning? And he summons bosses from FF5, from FF6. He, he summons Chaos, the original final boss of one. He even tests you out against the strongest foe he ever fought, which is Midgard Somer. <laughs> Though he admits he's not sure he could truly replicate its power. Mm-hmm. The real Midgard Somer sacrifices his, let's say, his waking form to save us from a trap that Omega tried to see how, like, how we would get out of an unbeatable trap. Mm-hmm. And he goes to sleep. After we fight everything he can think of, he thinks it's time to face us himself. Through the whatever power is driving us, because he's not sure what it is. <laughs> Uh, we are able to overcome his unimaginable strength from beyond the stars. There's a fantastic sequence where he dumps us in the void after we beat him. And like our a little Kokobo friend that he had created as a lure. Damn it. Why do I always get that wrong? Uh-huh. Alpha, because, you know, Alpha and Omega, why not? He was okay. kind of like a creature that Omega created, but he gained a heart and befriended us. We see him run through the stars as we hear Omega's log about how he's lost his communication from home, how his damage has lost where he is. He just must yeah. keep going. The interesting thing about o- Omega's fight against us is that he actually tries to take human form and take the data that he collected from us to use it against us. Yes. I love moments like he, like, like he concludes vocalizing attack names and makes him stronger. <laughs> yes. So it's a it's a pretty great fight. And at the end, Omega is dissolved while thinking it might have realized something. Though he's like, they point out to him that he never could have made it back across the stars because what he needed was a heart and no heart could handle that rift alone. Mm-hmm. Also, for this entire uh, fight uh, or for this entire uh, raid story, Nero is kind of driving our research into Omega. Yeah. Him him and Sid have kind of just turned to bickering couple. Let's be honest. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. They finally hate fucked and got over it. So at the so at so at the end of Stormblood, we're <laughs> alone. Nero wants it. <laughs> all, almost all our friends are unconscious. We know what's going, and all we know is that it, that doom is coming, and we must go to a world through the Crystal Tower. 
And that's where yep. we're left. Uh, there's a lot more that we can talk about. I kind of do, but I think we might want to save a, some of it for later. But like, yeah. I do want to give special call out to the funniest side quest in the series, Hildebrand. Hildebrand, gentleman detective. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what happens if you take Inspector Gadget, make him less useful? Yes, by taking away the gadgets. <laughs> but making him friendlier and less suspicious of people. Also, his father is uh, somehow extremely badass. So his father, Godbert Manderville, is one of the uh, rich people in uh, Uldot. One of the ones in charge, in fact. Yeah, he's on the syndicate. He is a super buff goldsmith who, like, most of the time, he's just super serious capitalist. He runs the gold saucer. But in the Hildebrand quest lines, Godbert is terrifying. <laughs> like, he, he, he runs around wearing nothing but his briefs and a single goldsmith hammer. He can apparently run at half the speed of sound. Yep. And jump down through the air, greets his son through extremely uh, complex suplexes, can kill any monster with one shot. Mm-hmm. And his <laughs> wife is scarier than he is. Yes. Yep. But we know. So, yeah, that's his, so that's the. Oh, no, yes, we do. Julia. Oh, yeah, we do. She appears her, yeah. In, yeah. And then when then when Gigi calls her grandma, almost the world almost ends. Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I forgot. Just about do that. The, like, just do the Hildebrand quests. I almost don't want to say more about it. It's like him. His narcoleptic, explosive cat girlfriend, uh, Nashu. Gilgamesh. <laughs> Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh, everyone's favorite Altros. interventional. <laughs> yep. Altros, the lone wolf from FF6. Various special friends, like it's Animaniacs episodes who have to suffer yeah. through this. And us. Yes. <laughs> We're just there and we know that we we know that it's our fault for being here. We get progressively more like involved with the antics, but right now at the start, we're just kind of like watching as it happens with like horror in our eyes <laughs> Four kill the brand quest lines including the current one and walker i see being the third one where the journal entry says at the start of a quest you have only yourself to blame for what happens next if you talk to nashu yep <laughs> i love that one that's one of my favorite quest descriptions i was thinking of bringing that up too anyway. it's just like i said i know we've been going forever but this one honestly i don't want to spoil too much it's a wonderful slurry of insane references ridiculous things misnamings Gil- Gilgamesh using versions of his of his themes of his battle music and, and Godbert just being the most powerful being in existence. I wish we could get him to help with stuff. Uh, I think that's enough. Final Fantasy 14. That was a lot. But boy, and we're only halfway there. Yeah, I think we'll probably have a bit more time for a breakdown on it when we do the second part of this at the end of the season. It's two two storylines will be faster to talk about one that's not complete. I don't know about that. They're much beefier storylines in general. Oh, yeah. But we also the introductions there. So I think we'll just have room to talk about. Honestly, I think it's a good place to talk about the general at all points at the end of it all. Anyways, next week, we're going to be heading back to Kingdom Hearts three. Uh, thank you for sticking with us through this one. And we're going to be visiting my least favorite world, Arendelle. Fun. <laughs> what's what's more fun than spectating a movie? Well, at least this time we have a better idea what's going on hey, until the end. <laughs> uh, but the level design is so bad. <laughs> we'll have time. We'll have time. We'll have time. We'll have time. So until next time, I'm Matt. I'm John. I'm Jared. And remember, a good story is best enjoyed with friends. Thank you for listening to Backlog Dialogues. If you're enjoying our deep dives and discussions, be sure to leave a five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice. If you're really enjoying our deep dives and discussions, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash backlog dialogues. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find our archives at backlogdialogues.com. Special thanks to Eli for our theme song. Kingdom Hearts and all associated trademarks are the property of Disney and Square Enix. Please support the official release.
without the revival of Final Fantasy XIV, the Final, the Final Fantasy XIV franchise would not exist right now. It would not be getting... Uh, so Final Fantasy XV would probably have been the last you mean one. You Final Fantasy franchise. Oh, yeah. That's what I said, didn't I? You, you, you said, said the Final Fantasy XIV franchise. franchise. Okay. It's, it's Which is a tautology, okay. but... Yes. Uh, so, with, if... Such devastation. I did not intend this. Was not my intention. Not my intention. Yeah. (laughs) Such devastation. This was not my intent. This was not my intention. And then we are immediately called back to Eorzea to uh, bail... um, To bail... What? Fuck, I can't remember his name. I don't have it. Thancred? No, no, no it's not Thancred. Sorry. Emo? No, 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 no. no. He, uh, we're, he's trying to re- he's trying to remember the uh the bowls. Robon. Uh, we oh, try Robon. We go. So he's added that peanut butter to his eye chocolate. Oh gosh. <laughs>